Welcome to D&D and D, the Dinner Party Role-Playing Podcast. I'm your host and Dungeon Master James Gressel, and with me today is Joel Arnold, one of our other players. Hey, Joel. Hello. And what you are about to hear is a recap of the first season of our podcast. And if you are joining us for the very first time, D&D and D is a podcast where I invite some of my very funny friends over, cook them a delicious meal, hopefully. <laughs> oh, yes. It's always so good. And I'm batting pretty good. I've yeah, got a pretty good track record. Yeah, you're good at many different kinds of meals, too. In the first season, the meals go from pizza to stew to hand pies to <laughs> shawarma. Like, we cover a lot of bases. Cover a lot of bases. And then we play Dungeons & Dragons, and we make up a fun story for your listening enjoyment. Um, we went through a lot of twists and turns in season one, and you're about to get a recap of all of them. Joel, you want to tell our listeners what we're about to hear? You put this together. Yeah. So initially, I was thinking, hey, it'd be a fun idea for listeners to have like a short 10-minute recap <laughs> uh, going into season two so we could just refresh everyone's memories. And then I was like, okay, yeah, maybe it'll be a half hour. And as I was writing out i was like well this is important i think gressel's laying some seeds here <laughs> for something to come in season two it's all important and then of course i wanted to include clips so what you hear is uh narration by my friend aaron Aston hitting the best and most important and funniest bits of season one to get you caught up so whether you are listening for the very first time or if you're going back for seconds this uh little recap will definitely prep you for Season two of our show, which will be premiering very, very soon. We have recorded the first session. We are editing it right now, and then we're going to get it out to your feeds very soon. So please enjoy this recap. Thank you, Joel, for putting this together. Thank you, Aaron, for voicing it. And yeah, we'll see you in season two. Do what's fun. Do what's fun. In the wilds of the world, a caravan of travelers stopped for the night on their way to the city of Night's Pass. Among those gathered around the fire for warmth and camaraderie were a charming gnome bard, a teenage elf sorcerer, and an old halfling rogue returning home. Does anyone want some candy? What kind of candy you got there, old lady? I picked up some candy along the roadside. You picked out from the road? I just, do you want some? Is it wrapped individually? Uh, some are. Okay, that's fine. As long as it's yeah. not covered in dirt, I'll have oh, some. Oh, wonderful. Things. My name is Margarine Sticks. Getting an image of uh, sticks of butter there. That's very rude of you, no. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know that <laughs> was a touchy. It's a family okay. name. Margarine's not butter. It's My name's Sabbath. <laughs> I'm smarter than you. The pleasantries of the evening were interrupted by a horrible screech. Margarine's tiny pet mouse cheese hid in the folds of her old lady's skin, and out of the woods burst a beast with the body of a bear and the face of an owl. Following the owl bear is a human man in leather armor chasing the creature with sword drawn. Stay back! Get down! An arrow then flew wide of the owl bear. Stepping out of the forest was a wood elf ranger, Fletch Stormtail. How the hell did I miss? The human ranger Juno Greenpoint made for the owl bear, but tripped and hit the ground face first, his short sword planted deeply in the earth. Zabus created an orb of light to distract the owl bear, and Margarine, from the cover of the woods, hit it with a dagger. I'm Suck a you, owl bear, hate owl bear. Flack flung a dagger into the owl bear, and Juno, unable to get his sword out the ground, unsheathed his dagger and swung at empty air. 
Zabas lodged a crossbow bolt into its body, and Marjorie briefly lassoed the owl bear to a tree. With a few more daggers buried in it, the owl bear ran into the woods. This group, brought together by the owl bear attack, exchanged words, assessing their respective successes in battle. I've been tracking this thing for two weeks, and along comes this human who thinks he can take it out and then trips. And then along comes this old halfling. I appreciated your efforts, old woman. (laughs) What is your name? Uh, Well, my friends call me Marge. Hello, is that what I should call you? Am I I a friend? I mean, sure. Hello, Marge. You have some serious injuries that we need to address. You can touch me wherever you want, you know. Hey, thanks for like bringing that into our existence, because now our day is just worse now. Creature that created these lights, what is your name? Zappus. I cast color spray. (laughs) (laughs) Where? In the air. Just as it seemed safe again, the owlbear returned, just in time for Fletch to name it Jeremy. Fletch, watch out, it's Jeremy. I can't wait to take this thing down. 16. 16 hits it with what? Oh, my longbow. It's like right in front of you. I love my bow. Okay. You kill it. Yes. The owlbear was finally felled. Fletch chopped off the beak, believing it had some magical properties, and Juno decapitated it, smiling. The other travelers asked for their protection on the way to the city, and they agreed. They stood watch in the night, and the next day escorted them to the City of Night's Pass. I'm home! Oh, you've been here before. Yeah, I grew up here, as a matter of fact. Any cool hangs? Hell yeah. (laughs) Do you want a party? Uh, yes. Yeah, I get down. I know a little dive called the Scale Scraper. That sounds, sounds kind of nasty, but... A little bit famous, and <gasps> I think maybe I could get us some free drinks. I really have no reason to stay now that the people have reached the safety of the city, but... Shut up, Juno, oh, come with you know. me. No, I just need to know, does this place have milk? Did you say milk? Milk? Did you say milk? milk? Yes, does it serve milk? I... Yeah. No one orders it. I will come with you for the milk. Since everyone had a reason to come to the bar, they made for the Scale Scraper Tavern. Marjorie recognized her old friend Chet the bartender, who supplied them all with drinks. Chet, I'll take the usual full round for everybody else, but you see that that hot, hot human ranger back there? Get him a glass of milk. (laughs) Like, like cow's milk? Like. I bo- cow's like, milk. Like I just white, cold milk. I, ch- I chime in. Yes, cow's milk. Goat's milk is fine, but cow's milk, ideally. Oh, okay. okay. Clumsy and stubborn as Juno seemed, Marjorie had a thing for this milk boy. The man at the bar, who's had a few drinks, uh, leans over and says, Hey, how, how's about uh, 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 getting me one of those uh, drinks? Drinks for old, for old Kiff. How about, how about getting, a, getting a drink for Kiff? They struck up a conversation with one drunk and forlorn trader Kiff, who'd lost his livelihood when his wagon of goods sank in a swamp. Kiff chimes in and says, oh, poor Kiff. He's not from around here. I, I, my, uh... I don't think you should be having any more drinks. Though. Kiff can have nope. the drinks that he wants, because I, I think everything's awful now. The group offered to set Kiff up with someone, but the sad sack couldn't focus on anything but his wagon. But I put everything into that wagon. That's Kiff. my whole life. Without without the wagon, I'm nothing. Kiff. I can bear. I can't even afford to drink myself to death. Juno soon got bored and eavesdropped on the conversation of a charismatic scoundrel holding court elsewhere in the bar. The man, one Jason Chone, took notice when Zavas generated a fart sound in Juno's direction. There's a fart noise, and then all the men laughed. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I put a dagger to the throat of the man who put a dagger oh, in my face. Oh, shit. Oh, you had oh, a man, man. Yeah. You oh. hard guy. The leader We're says, to help you out, Juno. Yeah. I like the balls on this flatulent one. Yeah. <laughs> it broke the ice. And Jason, a master thief, proposed a plan to steal the goods in Kif's wagon first. Whom do you rob? Is it rich people who deserve it? If they're rich enough, sure. But you don't, don't all rich people deserve to be robbed? Well, you know, if they have something of value, who am I to judge except by the contents of their pocketbooks? How, how about this? How about this, adventurer guy? Why don't we go into business together, hmm? Maybe take the contents of this wagon, split them among ourselves, and fuck this Kif guy. What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? I agree. Fuck the Kif guy, but I don't like that you rob poor people, and I will not support any endeavor. Poor people don't really have much to rob now, do they? Or punch so... him in the face. Wow. What are you? <laughs> Weapons were drawn, and this group of adventurers, who had only just met one another, were now thrown into combat with the formidable Thieves' Guild of Knights Pass. Zavas quickly cast Fog Cloud inside, and Marjorin threw down 200 ball bearings. Slipping and sliding blind through the panic, each adventurer made it outside, along with Kith, and they relied on Marjorin's knowledge of the city to escape the docks. Their options suddenly narrowed, they hid Kith in the care of the local wizarding school, and set out for the swamp to retrieve the wagon before anyone else could. The group trudged through the mud and mist hearing the sounds of birds, frogs, and lizards. They realized they needed guidance to find the wagon, possibly hidden beneath the muck. And just when Flack was about to speak with the small creatures of the swamp, he was almost eaten by a giant toad. You were right, it is a giant toad! <laughs> with Flack's head suddenly in the toad's mouth, the rest of the group attacked and attempted to get the toad to open its mouth. Marjorie succeeded when she flipped onto the toad's back. And stuck a finger in its butthole. You, it's straight up it, in there. <laughs> it croaks in confusion. With the giant toad defeated, Flack spoke to the small creatures. The small frogs were extraordinarily helpful. Hey, I just want to take a moment to say thank you for all your help, little frog guys. I was expecting a little bit more resistance from you, a stranger coming into your swamp and talking to you guys, but you've been really helpful. We don't have a lot of people to talk to around here. <laughs> It's mostly like lizards and shit. I get it. I get it, man. And lizards. God, what do they have to hey, say, right? Right. Hey. Fuck lizards. Fleck. Yeah, fuck Fleck. lizards. Fuck. Yeah. Ask them if they know Shrek. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Hey, frog guys. The team found their way to the wagon, but the little frogs had also warned their masters, large warrior frogs, attempting to secure the wagon for themselves. A spear flies out of the swamp. Oh, oh, oh shit. shit. Oh, shit. Where were you on that one, frog guy? Flack charmed the croak lord of the Bollywogs, Norm Bogman, and, communicating through the small frogs, tried to convince them to give up the wagon. Croaking ensues, and then the charmed one who responds says, like, okay, he says you seem friendly enough. Yes. But that's kind of weird for one of the masters. I'm j That's just my opinion. The one that regards you as friendly mm -hmm. kind of it walks towards you and it just kind of like touches you. So it just kind of goes up to you and it like drops its <laughs> spear and it just kind of like touches your face. Okay. And then nice. it croaks it. And then it does like that thing that frogs do where it like inflates its. <laughs> <laughs> Very lovely. Nonetheless, battle ensued. But the other one throws its spear at you. Oh. Can't you see we're having a moment here? The situation was further complicated when warrior lizards showed up and joined the fray, until Zabas cast a spell, activating his wild magic, which sent bolts of lightning into two frogs and two lizards. 
Instantly, the remaining lizards surrendered and revered him as a god. Flack negotiated with the frogs for the wagon and then spoke to the small lizards of the swamp to translate to Zabbos' new follower. Hey, frog guys, so I'm, I'm going to talk to some lizards now, but like, don't worry, I still think you guys are the coolest, okay? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, hey, lizard guys, any lizard guys in the house? you. <laughs> hey, lizard guys, could you please communicate to this, uh, this <laughs> bewildered lizard man here uh, and ask him... What he thinks of my good friend Zabbos here, this fine, uh, attractive young elf boy. Uh, yes, my dear friend here says that magic is most revered amongst his people and would like to take this powerful being back to his king for discussing about magics. The lizard they named Pizza led them to its village where Zabbos impressed everyone, including their leader, with simple illusion. The Lizard King says, Mithrok, king of lizard people, we like you, sorcerer. You have done us great kindness. Uh, what can Throck and Throck's people do for you? So, <laughs> buddy, there's this wagon on the swamp where we came from. We really want that wagon. It uh, is for uh, magic studies. For us to make better magic. It's He's important. Into it. Yeah. He's very intrigued by, oh, more magic. Yeah. <laughs> magic. Good. I will teach you in return how to turn one ball into two balls, <laughs> into three balls, and then back to one ball. We could use more of things and yeah. then less things <laughs> here in our village. Sometimes we have too many things, and we could be like, maybe we would like less. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. It has to be a thing you can fit under a cup, or else I can't. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Throck likes this deal. And so the lizards raised the wagon from the swamp. Inside, they found several items, including fabric, a set of bone dice, and a robe with many patches upon it. Zabbos felt a keen instinct and wore the robe. Then they're like, okay, here it is. And Throck is like, okay, uh, sorcerer, we, we got this out. Show us more magic. Uh -huh. Oh, um, oh. like I have my watercolor set. I take one of the paintbrushes and I do this with it. And it's <laughs> a rubber paintbrush. Just Wiggles like wiggling it. the paintbrush yeah, up see, and down. Like, that looks really good. It's a podcast, Chelsea. I know, but you all know what's up. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing the rubber pencil trick, and You're it's very impressive. Really good really at that. Good. Yeah. Now they're like suddenly we're on guard. Oh. Why? And oh. they're like, oh, we're not going to give you this wagon unless you give us your magic paintbrush. <gasps> oh. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> Here you go. At the edge of the swamp, Pizza said goodbye to its new god. They possessed a cart full of goods, but without their lizard friends, they had no easy way to convey it. Inspiration then struck Zabbos, and the teen elf reached down to his robe of many things, and with a rip and a swish, flung off a patch that instantly grew into a golden-maned horse. You are oh, a god. My god! Okay, cool. Can we call him Butter? Yes. <laughs> he likes sugar cubes. Yeah, he does. Butter the magical horse. This yeah. is a name that I like as well. This beautiful boy took them all the way back to Knight's Pass, where they sought Kif at the Wizards Academy. I spoke to Kif, and he seems to be very appreciative of the fact that you brought him to our academy, where he is excelling quite nicely, if I do say so myself. And... He says that you can just sell the wagon. He doesn't need it anymore. Oh. What? No. Got a wagon. I don't like uh, this. 
No, produce I, produce Kiff. But he also uh, he also <laughs> would like to he also would like to give you this bag of gold as a thank you for all the trouble that you went through. I'm very suspicious of this. I want to see Kiff and talk Why? to him. Why? Just, just Don't look a gift wagon or a gift horse literally <laughs> in the mouth. I'm just saying I want to talk to Kiff. You gonna punch him? I Please will not punch, punch him. Don't punch him. It could be perfectly Please. innocent. I just want to make sure that these are Kiff's words. And Why? the wizard is Why? not taking advantage. Why does it matter if we get gold, uh, the wagon, we all the stuff? Are we wedge? not Kiff's friends, as we have stated? Not really, No, dude. not really. We, told, we straight up lied We're like to that old dude. We're yeah. not really his friends. It was a, it was a white lie, Could we just stop it and, and say hi to Kiff? Could I? I mean, if Juno wants to go say hi. I mean, I'm not really supposed to let non-wizards into into the academy. See, it's like a clock, Could man. Kif come to the door briefly? I mean, I can ask him. The wizard goes and closes the door, and then suddenly, behind you, Kif appears. Behind? Whoa. Magically. <gasps> Whoa. I see you're oh. learning quite a lot of this school, Kif. And then he vomits. Oh, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> not quite enough. Is that a side effect of teleportation, or is that just you? No, I'm, I'm drunk. Uh, I was going to see you in fine spirits. Uh, spirits. Kif, they learned, liked where he was, learning magic and half attempting to sober up. So he gifted his new acquaintances with the wagon and its contents. The group shacked up that night at the Black Oak Inn and took a well-deserved rest. The group got one room, which offered a unique sleeping opportunity. You guys want to do? What Juno if we was also save about money? This. We all yeah. sleep in one room, and we just put all the blankets and pillows <gasps> in the floor. I like floor. that. We all like sleep a, in a pile, like a cuddle puddle. And I can yeah. charm us all to sleep. I also don't sleep. <laughs> me and me and Mike don't sleep. Yeah. Me and Flat. Stor- Storm Boy, Stormy. If there's a cuddle pile happening, I will put myself in the corner so as to not be a part of a cuddle pile. This fucking guy. Do you know you ever been a part of a cuddle pile? Yeah, do you ever try it out, my man? No, I'm used to sleeping alone on roots and and grass. Oh, you know what's way more comfortable than roots? A cuddle pile. (laughs) I I will consent to try it for a minute. Oh, that's progress. The cuddle pile commenced. As elves do not sleep, later that night, Fletch went to speak to the inn's bartender Gallagher to practice his underdeveloped social skills. Good morning. Oh, good morning to you. Why'd you spend the whole night down in the bar? Because I don't sleep. I feel like that would have been awkward, so I didn't want to just stay awake and watch everybody sleep. But but Stormy, we're a team. I'm not great with people. Are you not content with the friends that you have right now? I am. No, I am. But (laughs) look, I'm not good with people. I'm good with animals. Were there any animals at the bar? Did you meet an animal at the bar? I didn't meet any animals at the bar. Oh. It was lonely. The group was in want of a new quest, and they sidled up to a group of human and halfling farmers and produce sellers, debating a problem. One of them bangs on the table and says, I just don't have the crop. And then he gets all sad. And then the others, like, try to comfort him. And now you're at the table. I comfort him also. (laughs) (laughs) I touch him. Zabbos comforted a distraught halfling with a shoulder rub. One of the human men calls out to you and says, can we help you? Me? Yeah. I'm no, I'm helping you. <laughs> help me help you. Well, we we appreciate your comforting gesture, but we, we really have a lot of work to do here. We have a problem. I have a group of friends and we're like okay at solving problems, so maybe we can help. Zabas had the plight of the guild of Carrot Top, Siegfried and Roy, Barbara and Streisand, 
They explained their crop yields were severely depressed, which they suspected was due to magical blights, according to a local woods witch. Meanwhile, a shady businessman was squeezing them out of the market with his extraordinarily successful yields. We can give you the name of the man, of the wealthy yeah. merchant. Who does that, sure, who does yeah, that dude? That. The merchant, his name is Zemem Brevris. I'm sorry, what? What, what was that? <laughs> what I'm sorry. Zemem. Zemem. It's Beverisk. So it's, it's like a bad accent saying the man. Zemem. Zemem. That's Zemen. not how... The men's beverage. His name originated, one would assume. The man breakfast. <laughs> the man breakfast. The man breakfast. The I man. wish his name was the man breakfast. Whoa. Then he oh. wouldn't be as scary to us, the farmers. <laughs> <laughs> I could get down with a man breakfast. The man um, does sound like it. I thought she liked person. women. Gallagher yells from the bar. Did I actually like both. A man breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> the group took up the quest and started with the members of the City Watch in the same bar. I approach one. Okay. Hello, fine uh, gentlemen of the City Watch. Listen, we're on break. That's fine. The... You can go over to your local precinct if you have a problem. We're just trying to enjoy a meal in our time off. Excuse me, you won't talk to me like that. Hey, you work for us, I yell from the <laughs> room. No, Zavis, I got this. Stand down, stand down. And here, Flack invented himself a powerful alter ego. You wouldn't dare speak... <laughs> To the super mayor of town like that, would you? You got a roll for that one, man. A 26. Okay, you're not entirely sure that there's a mayor of the town, but whatever, you're super mayor now. I'm super mayor Flack. Uh, it's, it's not a mayor of the town. <laughs> what? Flack, there's no mayor. <laughs> uh, excuse me, my lord. We didn't mean to uh, offend. It's okay. Says one, and the other one's like, the fuck? It's okay. <laughs> it's a new position. What'd you, what'd you figure out? Well, I figured out that I, at least one guy in this town thinks I'm the fucking super mayor. Cool. <laughs> also, Flag, there's, there's no, there's a queen. Oh, is that the case? Yeah, you don't know about her? Lady Kathleena Uthinder. They call her Lady Catslove because she's followed everywhere by a silver panther. Oh, that's pretty that cool. That sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah. But no one's seen her in a very long time. Anyway, there's a party tonight. <laughs> yeah. They gleaned that this Zemam character was having a party that night. And so they went to the finest clothier in Night's Pass. And uh, there's a very stout, hairy dwarf behind the counter. Uh, hey, Flag, look, it's your twin. <laughs> what? <laughs> hey, that's you. <laughs> this is a lady dwarf named Berdalia. Oh, that's you. Huh? And she identifies herself and she says, I'm a gnome. <laughs> oh. The fuck! Greetings, travelers. I'm Berdalia, the proprietor of this shop. How can I help you today? Hey, it's super. We have super mayor no, no, here. No, 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 no. That was like a. That's a one guy thing. We don't have a super mayor. pulled a fast one with a bead, and they ordered their finery. The group had the afternoon to shop before their clothes would be ready. At this point, Juno took a walk around the city off on his own, severely bungling an invitation to Marjorie to come. Though he was in the city, his range of senses were still attuned, and he reached out to search for his greatest enemy, orcs. He felt them, many miles away. He would remember this. I want to know what our, our campaign oh, when, team what, member, like, what are, what, what are our jobs? Because people are going to ask us questions. Okay, good. Know what we do. Good idea. Let's I, establish Hey, Flag. I don't know much about politics, so. Oh. 
crash course, please. Yeah. Or just give me a, like a glamour. You're going to have to make a knowledge check to see what to name people. <laughs> Eight, you're searching your brain for political positions. You have, let's say, like a second grade understanding of a government. <laughs> no, I got this. I got this. Okay. Okay. Flack confidently made the pronouncements. Zabus was head boy. Marjorie was campaign Mima, and Fletch was assistant to the super mayor. Zabus, Flack, Fletch, and Marjorie went in search of the offices of Zamam Breverisk. They entered the wrong building, but Marjorie used the opportunity to ask a random shipping company about Zamam. Uh, hello, everyone. We're looking. Me and me and my campaign team. We're looking for Zaman Breakfast's office of of hey. of. What? Hey, remember, remember when I said just don't like offer up that information unless <laughs> pressed for it. Just we don't have to label ourselves okay. as such. Um, everyone, for, uh, forget what I said about the campaign. That's okay. just a silly well, game. Well, now you've repeated it. When a security guard insisted they leave, Zabba stirred controversy among the workers and management over unions. He pressed a digitated union pamphlets and sent them into the air. And I yell, "Solidarity's power!" <laughs> and I. <laughs> Do we just run? <laughs> and we run. We run. And I could really throw some wrenches and stuff. What's the most fun though? Hey man, yeah. I know. Make it spicy. I don't fun. care. I don't. I don't want to start too many threads. I don't know, man. I don't know, man. It's gonna do, be fun. Do what's fun. Can you tease a thread for later? Do yeah. What's, do what's fun. Do what's fun. Do what's, do what's fun. good. All, all right. Do, do, do what's fun. fun. Do what's fun. Do what's fun. Okay. All right. Uh, so we're gonna cut over. Cut to Juno. <laughs> As Juno walked, he saw a woman crying in the street. She's like going up to people, trying to get their attention, and they're brushing her off. She's dressed kind of like she's, you know, like lower class, and she's very visibly worried. Juno runs up to her, asks her what's wrong. Oh, oh, thank you, sir. You're the first person to pay me any mind. It's my son, sir. I, I can't find him. He's been missing. Juno awkwardly tried to comfort her and vowed to find her son. Milk Boy was on the case of another missing boy which led him to a bakery where he learned that many children who played on the streets of the docks, some of whom worked with master thief Jason Chone, were going missing. It's very strange. There used to be a whole gaggle of kids who would run around the docks and play their games, and I'd give them, like, day-old bread because they, you know, they needed the sustenance from what it looked like. You know, and I, I really took pity on those kids, and they always had such big smiles on their faces when they take the bread and little pies and things and haven't been by in a, in a while. It really, it's, it's kind of, it really makes me sad. I don't have any kids of my own, you see, and, <laughs> and I just wanted to make them, I just wanted to make them happy. And then he kind of starts tearing up. I try to comfort him. You kind of like just put your hand out to him <laughs> and he just kind of looks at it strangely, but he does stop crying. Well, sir, what is your name? Tom. Tom, I'm... Baker oh, Tom. Oh, God, did I, did I not ask that woman her name? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I think I forgot to ask the name of her child, too. <laughs> Juno rejoined the group and relayed all he learned. And the group shared with Juno about how they had become a campaign team. Uh, actually, yeah, we all divvied up campaign roles. Campaign I'm... for what? The reason... Can you guess what mine is? Well, we should tell them why well, first. It's, it's, the it's written on my sh campaign. It's written on my shirt. For the party tonight. Of course. And roll call, campaign team. Okay. He I'm head boy. 
I am Campaign Mima. <laughs> and I'm the assistant to the super mayor. Yes, we are. That's us. <laughs> Is this imaginary t- titles you have given yourself? No, no it's not imaginary. real. What, what do you mean? Well, I've been living in the real world with child disappearance and possible death. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please. Please tell us more about this child disappearance. <laughs> oh, no, I, I didn't do anything. Joel's, did Joel's you... campaign title's Boyfinder. <laughs> oh, only if it's clear that I'm looking for a boy for his mother. Not I'm not seeking boys. Sure, it sounds like you're seeking boys. <laughs> campaign sound off! <laughs> I'm head boy. <laughs> I'm campaign Mima. I'm assistant to the ma- b- man- manager. <laughs> I'm looking for boys. <laughs> Fletch was always more comfortable with animals than people. And while he was growing closer to this new team, he also had to make an introduction. Uh, team? Yeah, what's oh. up? I forgot to tell everybody. the We're ad- campaign now. I Campaign team? <laughs> <laughs> I have a beast with me. What? I have a panther. A gray panther stepped out of the shadows. Everyone, this is Pete. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Pete Pete the panther. Can I pet Pete? Yes, everybody familiarize yourself with Pete. He will now be traveling with us. Wait, should you really have called up Pete right before we went to the party? Here is my thought. Okay. Since everybody is concealing daggers, I was going to have the panther be on guard duty (gasps) outside. Oh, cool. Oh. Looking perfectly resplendent, they arrived at the mansion of Zaman Breverisk, where Flack charmed his way inside. The adventure party had come to a fancy party, and they mingled with the upper crust. There's people, like, milling about. There's a few people dancing, and there's people in small groups talking to each other, and a lot of it is about pretty boring, like, business stuff about the town. Like, there's talk of trade coming in through the docks. There's talk of... Losses to bandits through the roads, mitigated by gains due to increased prices through scarcity. And, like, these are people just interested in their businesses. Margarine is bored. Yeah. Even dressed for the part, they stuck out to the trained eye. There's one man who stands out a little bit among the group. He's a shorter man, stout, but built like just a barrel of a man. And he has one arm. And he has a really big, thick mustache and and really intense mutton chops. He also looks pretty bored. Uh, I approach the man, and I'm like, is that a Bedelia you're wearing? I'm sorry, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm the super mayor. (laughs) Roll that. (laughs) You gotta roll that against this guy. My boy, the super mayor. (laughs) What is it? Uh, I have a 26. 26 won't do it to this guy. Really? Wow. Marjorie whispered that this was Nils Haskendauer, consort to Lady Katheria, ruler of the city. Nils introduced himself and immediately pegged them as adventurers because he used to be one himself. Wow. Oh, really? I mean, no, we're totally not adventurers, but that's cool. Please, you don't have to put... I've had enough of this. Ever since I married Lady Katheria, it's just just events and politics and i tire of it but ever since i lost the arm i can't you know i join the group well i come with you it's been a long time since i've seen rangers how's it going over here super mayor (laughs) he's the real super mayor no hey i'm sorry 
He's the Lord Consort. There's a difference. That's pretty super. To your question, sir, uh, yes, you have the right of it. I am a ranger. How did adventurers like yourselves get into a party full of these boring-ass merchants? You know what? I don't care. <laughs> it's good to see some uh, some excitement at a party like this, and uh, as long as you guys don't get up to too much trouble, I'm not going to tip off anybody that you're here, because I, I, I miss it. I miss the excitement of, of adventures such as this, and oh, oh, to have two working arms again. <laughs> Ask oh. if he wants to join our... Join our I know, I was thinking about it. Yeah. Hey, Nils. well, say, Nils, what would you say to one final adventure? Or, you know, not final. You could just, like, join us <laughs> indefinitely if you'd like. What are you guys up to? Because if it's shenanigans, I'm going to have to no. murder you. No, no, you, no. Wait, what did you murder? say? What? I mean, I'm still pretty capable, even with one arm, and you guys don't look that tough. Like, oh. So if you guys are up to no good, I no, just no, warn no, you now. No, 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 no. So far from it. We yes, are up to we good, be the highest yeah. good. You know, we got up to some tomfoolery in my day, but, but you guys, I don't... It, Maybe be tighter on your adventures. <laughs> just just kind of get it together would be my advice. Uh, We're still new. We're still learning. Mostly Juno. We still have all our arms. <laughs> Whoa! Oh, oh, my God, Juno! 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 Every oh time! She can't Juno! take you anywhere. No! Juno had fucked up. Effectively, the king. This is the high consort. He, like, puts his good arm around Juno and, like, pulls him in close. And he says, listen, with one good arm, I could still break you in half. And he, like, squeezes tighter and tighter. And you're not wearing any armor, right? Yeah. Do it. Just kill him. (laughs) Take five physical damage. Oh, God. Because he breaks a rib. Ooh. Yeah. Margarine is like a little bit turned on. And he's like, I used to travel with a couple rough rangers like you. And I know that you can't always control your temper, but listen to me, son. And he squeezes again and he like digs into your now broken rib. And he's like, you say one more thing about this arm, this arm that I lost defending good people. And we lost a lot of them, a lot of them out there. And then he takes another drink. You will not leave this party in one piece. Nils left in a huff and the team lost a powerful potential ally. Fletch slapped Juno. I'm tired of your shit. (laughs) They gave him a stern dressing down. Getting back on track, they formulated a plan to search Zamam's residence for evidence he was behind the blights devastating the produce guild's crops. Flack and Marjorie would sneak up the stairs to investigate Zamam's rooms, while Zabas would create a distraction in the ballroom. Fletch and Juno followed Zabas and got the attention of the partygoers. Good people. Uh, good people of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nights Knight, Pass. Excuse of, me, let me, let me pass. Really quick. <laughs> people of good. the party of Knights Pass. We have a new people of the party. Da- dance move to teach everybody. Because everybody looks quite stiff. We, we bring a uh, oh, young no. teenage... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, elf, oh, no. uh, uh, moon elf, who is quite the troublemaker and can <laughs> no. dance this is long. very well. This is long. Just uh, introducing Zabbas. Go, Zabbas, go. Okay. You got this. Are the- there any, like, elderly ladies next yeah, to Yeah, there's me? elderly ladies. Can I, I'm going to take an elderly lady by the hand and start to show her how to do a dance and be, like, really seductive. Oh, oh my. What are, what are you doing? You're... Look like a nice young lady who's down for a good time. Young man, I, I, <laughs> no one has touched me like this in years. 
That's a good sign, I well, think. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> no, I don't mean that way. <laughs> oh, shit, she heard me. <laughs> Juno grabs one of this woman's friends that she was talking with. This woman is confused what you're doing. Your intentions were not clear from your grab. <laughs> I would like to dance with you, madam. We can't talk anymore. This is not our strong suit. Okay. I suppose I should grab a lady. Sure. Okay. Fletch took the hand of a woman and began to dance with her. It was going surprisingly well. Up the stairs, Flack played an enthralling song to charm the mansion guards while Marjorie snuck up the stairs. The distraction in the ballroom was becoming more than a commotion, and the guards were dispatched. He approaches Zappas and he says, I don't know who you I are. I cast Fog Cloud. As Zappas reacted, he felt a surge of wild magic, and it blossomed into an explosion of flame. Instantly, seven people were dead. Juno was unconscious, and Fletch had taken damage. Did the women die? The women yeah. we were oh, dancing yeah. with. Oh, oh shit. my god! I'm a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> Holy fuck! Wow, I just killed so many. You've killed seven oh, people, okay. and then the, the the only person who's still alive <gasps> oh is god. the dude who was walking up to you and tried to talk to you when you tried to cast fog cloud, oh, resulting in the god. fireball. All I wanted to do was just reenact that scene from A Knight's Tale because I thought it'd be funny. Flack heard the disturbance and encouraged the guards to see what was the matter. Guys, I believe there's a terrorist here. I have oh, friends here. Man. They include a beautiful young elf boy and two great strong ranger men. We believe that terrorists have been following us this entire day. I think that they may have found us here and just attacked. Please go down there and protect them with your life. Do not let anything happen to any of them who are there, and please help any of them who are in need. This is for your super mayor. He used the opportunity to sneak upstairs. The ballroom was in flames, and bodies littered the dance floor. This is pandemonium now. Like, fireball is exactly what it sounds like. It is a 20-foot ball of fire. Oh, no. And uh, everybody is losing their mind. Like, the servants just dropped their trays, and they ran for the doors. The band is trying to get out. Doors, though, in the back of the room are locked, and they're trying to, like, fumble with keys to get it open. It's like Carrie. Like, everybody's trying to get out oh, of the gym. No. And and it is it is like it is not going well. Zabas and Fletch defended themselves from mansion guards rushing in. Zabas ripped off a patch from his robe and created a pit on the ballroom floor, sending two guards tumbling in. Finally, the charmed guards that Flack had deployed arrived, and Zabas and Fletch convinced them help was needed elsewhere. Well, let me do us a really big favor. I have a horse, and my comrade here has a panther? Question mark. Yep. Uh, can you please fetch them for us? We'll wait right here. Please just go get our steeds. We need we need them, like, or else we're not gonna leave. Like, right away, sir. Anything to help the Superman? Thank you very much. We'll be right here. They leave, and we take the fuck off <laughs> up the stairs. Marjorie and Flack found a study where they discovered ledgers implicating Zamam in some kind of devious crop scheme. They disabled a couple traps and slipped into a hidden passage. As if a slight breeze opens up the door, <laughs> you enter the room. A stinky breeze. Stinky old dirty woman breeze. <laughs> they forgot the ledgers. Fletch and Zappas dragged Juno to a different upstairs room where they tried reviving him with mystery potions. Can we find 
fucking like Frankenstein, <laughs> like bring him back to life. Some of the potions are blue. Some of the potions are red. Some of the potions are green. Some of the potions are other colors. <laughs> Should we mix potions dis- and then to discern? What if we just mix a bunch? <laughs> a garbage potion? Garbage. Trash, trash, can jungle potion? juice, jungle, jungle juice potion. <laughs> Just, I just am so afraid of blindly mixing stuff. I mean, this I'm makes, not. I'm not. Do what's fun. We should, do, what's do what's fun. fun. We should definitely. Do what's fun. fun. Do we want to just like mix some shit together? I would say one of each. Which color potions are you pulling? All of them. Blue, <laughs> Blue red, red, yellow, yellow green. green. Okay. And you're going to what? Like just force feed this to Juno? Yep. Yeah. Juno suddenly woke to consciousness, cranky and queasy, and he could feel the tingle of a new clairvoyant ability. And he started growing. Juno reaches out a big, meaty fist towards <laughs> Zabbis, but Zabbis ducks out of the way. Zabbis, you... You're 12 feet tall and psychic now, you can't Oh yeah, what mad. are you going to do you about You stay this? away from me. You can't be mad. <laughs> you nearly killed me. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen to me now. I made you psychic. I gave you life. You're like double-sized ding-dong. It's just like flapping. Ah! <laughs> Aren't I wearing clothes? No, they all tore. You doubled in size. Oh, my God. I it's, hate this. Can you suck that margarine? Oh, margarine is going to be oh, so um, disappointed. Is there a cape around? Is there some sort of cloth, a carpet, a drape? Just look drink look around. Shit. I look around for a drape. There's a lab coat that would fit like a six-foot-two skinny man. Can I tie it around my waist? Sure. I have a bedroll. Okay, I tie it around my waist. I have waist. a bedroll! <laughs> he used his temporary clairvoyance to search for Marjorie and Flack. The team found one another and swapped stories. Hey, welcome back. Way to join the party. Hey, guys, what was that noise I heard earlier? <laughs> Fireworks. I'm so glad you're okay. Me too. You know, oh. nice dicks. Wait, did you just say nice dick? No, nice digs. <laughs> no, <okay>. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice dick. <laughs> well, no, I'm I was... saving that one for later. They pushed onto a room whose center was a sickly, grotesque tree. They were attacked by blights. Marjorie takes one of her little sticky things from her thieves' tools, ties up her hair, and sticks it in the bunnock above her head. And then she rips open her shirt, and it says "Campaign Mima" on her shirt underneath. And she's like, "I will protect." The super mayor! <laughs> you will not take us down, you plants! And the man Breverisk himself appeared. What have you done? What do uh, you think I've done? <laughs> <laughs> he was visibly frustrated and insisted this was all beyond their understanding. Fine, fine, I admit it, you fools. Yes, it was me. <laughs> I knew it. Hell yeah. I knew it. But listen. Break this guy's but listen. Spirit? Well, he's like, yeah, he's like upside down. <laughs> but listen, there's there's a bigger problem here. Okay. Well, I think we solved the mystery. We okay, let's did let's it. What's bigger, bigger problem? Zaman Breverisk was then eaten by bats. A skeleton remained. The team decided to destroy this evil tree. And surrounding it, they torched that bad boy. This is for the campaign. For the campaign. One, two, three. For the campaign. For the campaign. All right, when you burn this tree, feel a very incredibly unsettling presence rise up out of it. And it just really, really creeps you all out. Like, completely overcome with fear. Oh, God. The team was victorious, but they had drawn the attention of the powers that be of Night's Pass. After the demise of Zemembreverisk, you tried to flee where you were confronted by a man that Marjorie recognized Best as... Mike. Do you remember his name? I recognized him as Greg 
the tree branch. Tree branch. No. Nope. Rivers. Rivers. Greg Rivers. He's Sir Greg Rivers. Oh. <laughs> he is the captain of the city watch and he and the watch showed up to this burning mansion to try to figure out what happened after there was an explosion and screaming and some of his guardsmen went missing i'm glad you guys are here there's been a terrorist attack greg you could believe it but he's he's uh, mm, maybe not with him well that may be but you guys seem to be the only living people who aren't in pits in this mansion also you're in this like secret passage and that's rather suspect so i'm gonna need you to come down to the station? <laughs> Later that night, our motley crew sat in a holding room at the station. This is the headquarters of the City Watch. Station. The station, for yeah. short, as it's commonly known. That's like cop talk, though. You guys don't get it. Because station's an acronym, right? <gasps> oh, you sassy boy. God damn it, James. <laughs> I want to do it so bad. It's, it, stands, oh. it stands for safe town... Always. <laughs> so many keep letters. going, keep going. Oh, so it's safe town always trying. What's the next one? In our oh. our nation. Nation. Cool. Yeah. Safe town always. Safe always. town. <laughs> I can see why they use the acronym. Yeah, the, yeah there's always a trying in our Sir, nation. Th- Sir Greg didn't come up <laughs> what with an this. Awful name for a building. <laughs> always trying. You can't if, count it again. If we come up with a better acronym, <laughs> then, oh. then you win the town. <laughs> that sounds oh, like a great man. deal. While they waited, Marjorie checked out Juno. What sort of clothing has Juno been provided with? Like scrub pants? Nah. Like, you know, like pants that you would be given at, like, a hospital. Um, butt flap? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's butts. It's oh, with a butt fl- yeah. Oh, oh, definitely with two buttons. Two button oh, butt flap. Oh, my God. But I'm still wearing the You're still wearing coat. a lab coat. Yeah. I like this coat. Yeah. Uh, You're telling me Juno has a butt flap that's butt flap. only protected <laughs> by two buttons? It's, like, latched with two buttons. It's not just two buttons. It's not, like, one button, one giant button for each cheek. Buttons. No, actually, it's one giant button for each cheek. One button between me and Juno's little tushy. <laughs> what, 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 what are you saying? What? Calm down. I'm sorry. We're in a, We've we're been in through station. a lot today. Do, do you want in those sweet cheeks? Do- oh. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. Guys, I think, okay, guys, I think you're letting the stress of the situation affect your decisions right now. Your judgments are all screwed up. We just got through a moment of passion and then a moment of panic, and now I feel like the moment of love is what comes next. Am I wrong? Yes. <laughs> I'm looking at life with a new lease. Just then, three imposing swords entered the room. The royal consort, Juno, had egregiously insulted Nils Haskendauer. Captain of the City Watch, Greg Rivers, and Coyrim Winspear of the Order of Galadoy, meaning Leaf and Moon. Greg knew Marjorie, in fact, he had arrested her before, and these dudes were not messing around. They interrogated the team on the cause of the explosion. They denied that they killed Zamam, and they described the voice and the bats. I have investigated this tree that you have destroyed. Are you a park ranger? Of sorts. <laughs> um, Your magic. Part my job is to keep the order of things in the forest. And this tree is pure evil oh. and should never have taken root in the city of Night's Pass, oh, nor so in the surrounding forest. We did you 
a solid. We definitely did yeah. you a solid by Why killing, are we in jail? killing it. Are we here for uh, a reward? Then then Sir Greg speaks up and he says, you're here for a proposition. So Nils now speaks up and he says, Goyrim is kind of our eyes in the forest. He works together with the City Watch to keep things in balance here in the lands that we rule over. We've recently discovered that one of our spell beacons deep in the forest has fallen. And it's imperative that we retake this beacon and establish our protective net. They presented the team with an ultimatum. Leave the city or put their skills to good use restoring the magical beacon of protection. So Greg threatened to arrest them, but Nils offered them each a favor if they helped Koirim. They agreed. In the light of day, they returned to the Black Oak Inn where they were greeted by cheers. Carrot Top congratulated them, and his son Turnip Top, who had ridden from their family farm, reported the blights had vanished. They pronounced the team friends of the farmers forever, and Keratop gifted them with an old scythe. He says, this this was my great-grandfather's scythe. It's seen better days. Like, the handle definitely needs to be replaced. The metal's kind of, like, chipped and worn. But he says, this was the scythe that cut the first long grasses from the plot of land that became the top family farm. And <laughs> I know that once before... Our family became farmers. This was used in countless battles. <laughs> it's sat forgotten in our home for years, but it may be of some use to some such as you. And he hands it to you guys. Is it magical? I don't know. Are you sure? That's not a no. Maybe we can enchant it. Like, I'm not one to say no to free stuff, but this seems like what? really personal. Yeah. This seems like old wood attached to chip metal. I accept this gift what? What? with the spirit <laughs> in which it was given. To gear up for the new quest, the team visited a few shops, including that of Georges the Dancing Satyr. Fletch, <laughs> the first person you dance with is 100% of the people that you ever danced with. Yep. And so 100% of Never the people you've dance ever with danced anybody. with died but the next time you dance with someone it will be 50 percent of the people and maybe they won't die and then after that it'll be one third and the more people that you dance with the more likely they won't die so you can't give up just because the first one went awry margin has like a little tear (laughs) (laughs) you know what you're a good pep talk campaign meemaw we call you campaign meemaw for a reason Mm. because you can rally the shit out of anybody I feel like I can dance with somebody. Georges sold them salves and goose, and for a discount, Fletch offered a dance. Hit it! (laughs) (laughs) This is a slower jam, but I feel I'm feeling it. Their bodies pressed close together as Flack played a slow tune. Uh, I still haven't learned how to play ukulele. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting better though. That's a nineteen. Nineteen. Okay, oh, so uh, so George, the <laughs> don't need the to know kind of like leans his head, like le- rests his head again, <laughs> kind of like goes like, oh. It was sweet. Marjorie had the idea to order Nils an apology gift, and George placed an order for an elderflower liqueur. They visited a blacksmith who was a bit of a hack. You want uh, how much is a rapier? A rapier runs for. Well, your your charming friend here, I, I like I like him. And uh, do you like me? This well, is a pers- this is a charisma check. Oh, oh Nat twenty. Nat twenty. Oh, oh. Uh, for you. <laughs> oh. We're offering a special. Okay. Uh, two for one at eighteen gold. Oh, wow. For me. 
just for little old me. You know what? You know what? What? Just for you. Yeah. (laughs) I'll make a special shortened. Because I'm so tiny. (laughs) For 20 gold, custom weapon. Does she have a name? (laughs) It's not up to me to name a lady's weapon. I see. I think you've got yourself a deal. All right. Will the blacksmith takes a regular rapier and knocks off a few (laughs) inches of the blade, making it perfect to fit in little halfling hands. And that's how you do it, team. Just one. Zappus wanted to visit a bookshop, and there Juno inquired about the properties of his scythe. A woman far older than Marjorie swung from a ladder into view. Gwendolyn assessed the scythe, and from it sensed time. Fletch further lowered his ratio of those he danced with who blew up to those he danced with overall by having a nice dance with Gwendolyn. The team finally found their way to the shop of the one-tusked boar. Juno panicked when his orc senses went wild. There might be danger inside. I will draw my sword as we enter. Don't we're going into this yeah, guy's like shop. Just because you Who knows what's some, on the other side? Someone's well, got a bad friend of Nils. You want to like make good with Nils and then come in like threatening to chop orcs off his friend's arm? Orcs nothing good. There's you know, nothing maybe, good in an orc. Maybe, maybe you sit this one out. Yeah. Maybe the orcs are behind the shop, Juno. You ever think of that? And they're just coming from that direction? They're running the shop and who knows what kind of shady dealings are happening here? Juno's deep distrust of orcs flared in the most ugly fashion. And when he entered the shop with sword drawn, he was thoroughly surprised. He is immediately greeted (laughs) by a large, almost seven foot tall. Oh no. Really broad shouldered, kind of pointed eared half orc (laughs) who says, hello sir, what can I do for you? (laughs) Juno's just frozen in confusion, holding his sword, like, not sure what I to cast, do. Can what I cast you... Prestidigitation right now? Oh, God. <laughs> yes, you can. What would you like to do? Um, I put a, a paper sign on the tip of the sword so it looks like a picket sign that says, Welcome to the neighborhood. <laughs> Or something to that effect. That's awfully nice of you, like, is, but, uh, but I've been here quite a while and oh, I don't recognize your face, I don't. Our mistake. The team apologized to Borscht for their ranger's racism and received an evaluation of the scythe from Wendell, the dragonborn blacksmith. After much haggling over the price and possible magic in the scythe, Juno handed over his weapon to be restored. Wendell saw the bone dice the team found in the wagon and really wanted them. Fletch rolled them and suddenly felt like his statement that he was becoming better with people was now especially true. He felt more confident. As they left the shop, Juno brought up again the plight of the missing children. How are we going to find these kids if we don't know their names, we don't know what they look like, and it's almost nighttime? I have a lead. Perhaps the scale scraper attracts more seedy characters at night, and the one called... Jason is there, and I hear he's been involved in the disappearing of these kids. Let's just do it. Let's just go there now and find kids. And then we can find kids and then just focus all of our efforts on stuff that isn't finding kids. And that's when Flack had a radical idea. How about we give Juno leader status for the evening? Yes. Wow. Team, I will not let you down. I'm sure you will. Fletch. <laughs> Fletch, I know you joke, but I, I appreciate I'm, uh, well, it. Well, I'm flack for one. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh God. God. So bad start there. Uh, bad start. As the sun was setting, 
Juno confidently took charge and led the team to the docks. They were approached by a short man with something to sell. The man, whose name was Hunter, was open to a trade for some of his magical wares and invited the team to his makeshift merchant stand in a nearby alley. There are like various kind of like trinkets and stuff. As you guys approach and you're all kind of like gathered around, Hunter kind of reaches in to the scroll box and then he says, now, and then three bandits close off the entrance to the alley and he pulls out a short sword out of the scroll case. And now you guys got to roll for initiative. Wow. This is going to be easy. I'm going to raid that entire cart. Oh yeah, that cart is fucking donezo. Hunter thought he'd spied some easy marks to rob. But with three swift arrows in the chest of his cohorts and flax knife to his throat, Hunter began to negotiate. That's it? You're just thieves? Yeah, we're just thieves. Plus, uh, All right, you're acting pretty nonchalantly. I just pressed my dagger a little (laughs) bit deeper into your neck. Hey, this isn't the first time I've had a dagger in my neck, okay? Okay. In my line of work, you get some daggers at your neck. And, you know, any day that you have a neck, you're probably going to have a dagger against it. Oh, I thought those were neck wrinkles, but those are like tiny, thin scars. Tiny, thin scars. Oh, yeah. We should should just kill them. Well, I guess this is the first time that this has ever happened, and I slit his throat. Oh! He was pissed. He was talking back Black. to me. Yeah, we could have asked like... him about the situation that we came here to solve. While his blood soaked into the cobblestones, the team discovered the cause of this back alley attack. A generous bounty from the Thieves Guild of Knights Pass for one Juno Greenpoint. Reluctant as they were not simply to hand over their redundant ranger and cash in, the team staged a heist and brought the body of one of the brigands to the Scale Scraper Tavern, where Marjorie's alter ego, Landa Lakes, went toe-to-toe with Jason Chone, whom Juno had sucker-punched days before. And so I slashed his neck and I left him to die. Well, Found on him I... a note, said you were looking for Juno Greenpoint, and I happened to know the bastard. This... He wronged me, you know. How could anybody wrong a exquisite creature such as yourself? <laughs> I ask that myself every day. I almost want to apologize on behalf of Juno. You see, I I have tastes in dangerous men. He kind of like puffs up a little bit and like takes his dagger out of its sheath and starts like spinning it. (laughs) (laughs) Marjorie does the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) He just like starts to kind of like bring it closer to Marjorie. Oh my God. She starts to bring hers closer to his. (laughs) It's like dangerous men, you say. When their ruse worked, they took their gold and made for the city gates. In the slums, they ran across Victona, the woman whose son was still not found. Juno panicked and offered her money. But as a crowd gathered, he flung a thousand gold coins into the air. Total panic goes nuts. Oh, when you- run! People, run. people yeah. start oh fighting God. each other. Okay, yeah, just we gave away the, our position to the like, bandits. You, you see a man get like stabbed in the face. <laughs> Over Juno, you did this. with with, with, with like a sharpened stick, not even like a not even like oh, a real no. dagger, but like people start like killing each other over this. You know, could, you could have oh, thrown no. ten and it would have been fine. Like a, a a woman takes a log from one of the cook fires and like hits a guy over the back Jesus with it, Christ. and his cloak catches fire, and now one of the shanties is caught fire. A murderous riot ensued, and the team with Victona in tow escaped to the woods. Juno was interim super mayor no longer. In the forest, the team reconciled by painting their feelings with watercolors on canvas. Fletch, a calming beach, and Juno, something darker. There is a fire, and the flames 
are taking shapes of wailing women and children <laughs> against a, a black starless night is this fire, but you know it is night. It is not merely a blank canvas. And it is not just fire, but fire-burning bodies. Oh, a single fuck. tear rolls down Marjorie's cheek as she stares at this little wet piece of paper. <laughs> This like gazing into the abyss and then it <laughs> gazes at me. I am sorry no. for my uh, actions and I must tell this group I I, I wish to be uh, better. I wish to be worthy of you all. When you made me uh, acting super mayor, I thought it a chance to do you proud, but I can see that my actions in the shanty town and my actions with Jason Chone led directly to us having to be outside the city now to those shanty town people's deaths and to us it's not okay, being Trudeau, able to you... find that boy. It is my fault. The emptiness this milk boy felt inside connected to his need to find the missing children. The team learned that Juno had once had a wife and a son and he had lost them both to an orc attack on his kingdom. I put my hand on Juno's shoulder, and I'm like, uh, hey, man, I didn't realize. I didn't realize that this is how you were feeling this whole time, so sorry for ribbing you, because this is awful. Me too, Juno. I I know I can be a little wishy-washy when it comes to you. Sometimes I'm, I'm on your side, and sometimes I, I take a step back, and that's, that's a problem that I'm trying to work through myself it's always been my way ever since i act on instinct and that has served me but i can see now it is not serving me or others you're on a team now. i was gonna say it might be a team thing you're on a team now. You got a team so acting solely on feelings might work as a solo thing you have to think of our feelings too but now that we know your feelings i feel like we can all uh adapt and grow together as a team. And I know your feelings, because it's in a painting. Yes. I sidle up to Zabas. <laughs> you know, I think that our joint experiences in therapies really helped this this party. Yeah. I agree. In painting therapy. Yeah. Art therapy. I put out my hand and give him a yeah. fist pound. Yay, fist <laughs> bump. Their respite was interrupted by the Woods Witch Navia who brought the team visions of where the missing children were being held, and their dwindling numbers. When Navia left, Flack remembered the bone dice in their possession. He rolled, and felt as if he'd had a glass full of champagne. Guys, I think I just tasted champagne. What? 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 From what I've read about champagne, and heard about champagne. But you just rolled some dice. I know. Whoa. Give me those dice. Looks <laughs> <laughs> like we're all going to roll these. Next, Juno rolled the dice, and it quickly became apparent that Marjorie and Fletch could not tell a lie. Hey, Fletch, what do you think of me? What? I think you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. Marjorie, are you what? attracted to this? To you? Yeah. Most of the time. Oh. <laughs> cool. All right. No! What is happening? Marjorie! No, what? No, why are you asking me? This is dangerous. What? Do you guys think that I'm really fulfilling my potential? Yes. Not yet. <laughs> no! Okay. 
Zavis get in on this? I don't know what to ask. Them. It's pretty great. Zavis is too confident to need anyone else's validation. <laughs> yeah, that's probably Bobby. true. In the morning, they returned to the city and busted into a suspect butcher's shop. Marjorie is like mad. Why don't we kick down the door and squeal like pigs? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fuck it. That's what you're doing. Let's make it a game. Yep. Sixteen. Sixteen kicks in the Yay! door. <laughs> Yay! Oink oink. Great job, Zebus. And and a little bell rings, <laughs> and you see the display case of different cuts of meat in front of you, but there's no one else in this little room. It's kind of like lobby area. There is a back door with a sign on it that says employees only. Can we kick it, it down? Kick it down. <laughs> I could just unlock it. I am a thief, by, by do I, the way. Do you want to try that? Or, yeah, do you, so Mar- or do you want to kick it down and squeal like a pig when we walk You're in? right. I want to kick it down and squeal like okay, a pig. Okay, that's a strength check. I roll four. Nope, not going to do it. <laughs> I kick in the display case. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 19, uh, strength? Wow. 20. Yeah, that just fucks up. Fuck just, you. you! You hit, like, a support beam of the display case, and it just goes down, and, like, yeah. like cuts of meat make, just, like, fall on the I'm ground. I'm gonna make a dexterity check to see if I can grab a piece of meat without any glass on it, and it's a 14. <laughs> yeah, okay. I grab it and eat it. Okay. Just to fucking Wrong. pump me up. Something... Whoa. Something... <laughs> you've never tasted this meat before. Oh, shit. Oh! In the basement, they found huge, monstrous pigs. I have an idea. What if we cover ourselves in all like the mud and stuff? So then, in case we get behind that door and there's no one there right now, if anyone comes in, we can just hide by like falling on the ground. Yeah, we all have really good pig noises, so people will think that we're just pigs. We could smell and look like the shit and then make sounds like the pigs. Can anyone... Oh, I got nothing. Never mind. <laughs> Your time will come. That's it's, it's disgusting. Uh, yeah. Are you in though? If everybody's in them. Team. Team. Poop team. Poop team. Poop team. Poop team. Poop team. The poop team freed the children and in bloody combat defeated their captor, a deranged butcher who had been feeding his customers human meat. It was at this moment Flack realized something important. Can you tell me what this is? And I pull out the frozen meat. They are not okay with that. It's like a triggering thing. They all like visibly reject to it. One kid throws up. Oh my God, Gene. <laughs> and one kid, one young girl who's like sealed herself a little bit more than the other kids is just like, Anna. Did you say Anna? Yeah. Oh boy. Is this meat kid? It looks like they were butchering up the little kids to sell at that uh, Did I eat kid? shop. It's okay, man. Any of us would have done it. Okay. I'm sorry, Anna. I'm sorry for what? I'm sorry that you were killed and that then I unintentionally ate some meat that was either of you or possibly like a friend or an acquaintance who is also presumably a small child. Here's hoping this doesn't happen again. (laughs) (laughs) Here's hoping. They dropped the children with Kif at the Wizards Academy. Juno picked up his scythe, and Victona got her son Mort back. And they just like run at each other and like embrace and just like erupt into tears and are just so, so happy to see each other and be reunited. Neva's really touched too. And she looks at you, Juno, and she says, this won't do it, but you're on your way. She like smiles and she's like, you did a good thing. And she looks at Fletch and she says, look out for the little ones. 
their business in the city complete, the team set off with butter in their cart and, joined by Coyroom Winspear, set out to restore the beacon. As the team got to know Coyroom, he also learned about them and their unorthodox ways. One to ten, how, how handsome do you think Coyroom's? I would say he's an eight. He's a, whoa. What do Judo. I agree. I think he's a I've only seen him in the in the big armor, so I'll hold my final decision later on. <laughs> Zabbos is a ten. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely listening. You're sitting like right behind me. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. <laughs> you are quite good looking, Zabbos. Thanks, <laughs> Stormy. Oh. What am I? One to ten. Oh, you're a ten. Oh, Marjorie is very pleased. <laughs> hey, Judo. Wh- what about Flack? Out of ten, it's hard for me to judge. Uh, but his charisma he's really does a nice. lot. He's a, such a nice guy. Yeah, and his confidence. Mm-hmm. Is and I really what like upsets. his personality. Yeah, seven. Four, oh. oh no, <laughs> I I'm thinking about the the whole person. Oh, I was and... thinking just about his face. Okay, yeah, being a little bit tipsy. Oh no, you talked a little bit louder than you should have, and Flack could hear that. You hear that, Corum? Of course I hear that. That's the kind of thing that drives me to strive for greatness. People are so quick to judge others based on their appearance or their race or, or how they look, really. And I want them to judge me on what I do. So the thing I'm best at in this world is playing music and doing some badass spells based on that music, man. So if I can uh, make a name for myself and show others that gnomes aren't maybe what they think gnomes are, maybe there's more to a bar than just a tavern show. That sounds like city folk problems. Here, here in the wood, we judge each other based on deeds and our dedication to our cause, protecting this holy and sacred place. Maybe, maybe someone like you would be comfortable out here. Maybe, man. You have this like moment, and then you kind of walk in silence for a little bit. That night, when they found a group of men huddled around a cook fire... They became a spook team, and Zabbos pretended to be a floating, tree-humping ghost to scare the men. Let's give them a fun ghost show! Let's give show. them a show! How did you feel about that, Coram? I don't... Coram, don't suck. Come on. Peer pressure, peer, peer pressure, pressure, peer pressure. Hey, Coram, roll I'm me! I'm off! I'm <laughs> off. Okay. And I, I can't levitate on myself! <laughs> Twas a mere prank, they said. But things didn't go exactly according to plan, and the men transformed into werewolves. The team killed them in combat, and the one survivor, a werebear named Derek, vowed to protect the woods from darkness. Among the loot of the slain werewolves were another set of bone dice, and Flack rolled them. You roll these dice, and a tree near you suddenly opens up into a door. And this tree portal can take you back to the Black Oak Inn in Night's Pass. But inside the portal, not all was as it seemed. A voice indicated this was punishment for overusing the bone dice, and each member of the team in turn relived a trial from each of their lives. Helping one another, they triumphed and were rewarded for their efforts. Fletch relived the death of his family in a thunderstorm and received a bow capable of shooting bolts of lightning. Marjorie escaped a ship of pirates who had once been her team. They betrayed and sold her for a price. Or so she said. She received a pirate's tricorn hat. 
Flack witnessed a figure playing a familiar song and solved a musical puzzle to receive an ability-enhancing spell when he played his father Tork's song. Juno defended a large cow, his deity, from an orc attack and received the milk of the great heifer, a dairy elixir of healing. Zabas fought large hounds in a vast arena to protect a small potted flower, who had once been an elf and his friend, before a magical accident. Zabas received a jeweled ring. When they were freed from the portal, Marjorie revealed to the team that it was not her who had been taken by the pirates, but her daughter. She asked that they not use the bone dice again, lest experiences like these bring her more pain. Grief came to the party when Marjorie realized her pet mouse cheese had died. Oh my god, Koirim! Koirim, we have to stop! I have to bury my mouse. Oh, man. I mean, do we have to bury the mouse? What, am I going to put it back in my pocket? We can cook it and eat it. Yeah. Viking funeral. (laughs) In the forest? I don't know. (laughs) Guys, before I met you, this mouse was the only thing I had. Oh. We should stop and bury Well, we replaced him pretty fast, though, huh? I haven't heard you talk about him in a while. Wow, rude. (laughs) Modrin, what happened? What? Kate was living in her jacket. That's what happened. (laughs) When was the last time you saw her feed that thing? It's been a couple days. Yeah. Normally self-sufficient. You know what probably happened when we went through the portal? It it isn't magical enough. That's right. Or just magical. You really think so? I think it was the portal that probably killed it. Can we go with that? Because if I really think hard about it, it's probably my fault. But if I blame it on the portal, it feels much better. They stopped and lay to rest the little mouse, and Koirim said a prayer and cast a protective spell over the burial spot. As they neared the home of Koirim's order, the team noticed their guide was walking more slowly. When they asked him what was the matter, Koirim admitted he had been shaken up by the encounter with the werewolves, as he had not experienced such battle in many moons. I am worried about getting to Gala Mathir and, and seeing the head of my order, I just, that encounter with the, the lycanthropes really shook me. I, I shouldn't, shouldn't have been so surprised like that. I, I feel that I've gone a little soft and I worry about the battle to come. We know how you could get hard. <laughs> <laughs> you could. You're doing great. Move, move, go full forward, full, full steam ahead and then get dangerous. Let's do it. Let's go faster. Let's pick up this pace. You've got five of us here. Plus Pete, plus a horse and a wagon. We're a so- we're a solid. Go. We're a <laughs> solid. Zavis oh yeah, is really. Fuck. Yeah, we need to pick this up, man. We did the best we could by those lycanthropes. There, there wasn't a lot. You shouldn't blame yourself. I thought we handled that situation beautifully. <laughs> it was a big threat. We took care of it, and we're all still here. That's true. We're all still here. We're all still here. So. Pick your head up. Take a deep breath of the nice forest get, air. Get hard. And get hard, man. Get hard. Let's go. Yeah, see, you got it. I feel like, yeah. Yeah. Hey, good job, man. Hey, thanks, Black. Thanks for, thanks for well done. hanging out on my shoulders. Yeah. All right. And he kind of like yells back to Zabbis and Marjorie. He says, we're going to get hard. <laughs> <laughs> what? Marjorie, okay. we're getting hard up here. Uh, okay. <laughs> Should I get hard, too? Yeah, we're all, we're all doing it. As they walked, the forest grew more vibrant, with plants and trees coming in all sorts of bright and unnatural colours. 
until they saw a massive tree on the horizon, and inside its hollow walls, an entire city. This was Galimathea, home of the Order of Galadoy. They climbed to the top of the tree and presented themselves to Genevieve Cloudstrike and the head of Galadoy, Amara Mirarim. When you get closer, you can hear that the first woman is pleading with the second to take action. She's like, it's been days and you haven't done anything. And I've been here asking day in and day out for some kind of help. What are, What is this order supposed to do if not protect those who protect the forest? And that's when you guys get there. So now you're like feet away from this argument. What do you guys do? I'm intrigued. Is, is Koirum doing anything? I thought he was kind of... Koirum uh, is kind of like sitting back for a second. He's oh, like thanks. still trying to like... He's like, all right, stay hard, stay hard. Stay hard, stay hard. We don't have time to deal with this. Oh, we got to get to the top of the tree. <laughs> I'm sorry, ma'ams. <laughs> oh, yeah. We got to walk through. Pardon us. Zabas has someplace to be. That's <laughs> me. Hello. Uh, I do. I'm <laughs> somewhere to be. <laughs> well, that gets their attention. <laughs> and the high elf, first she looks at Marjorie, then she looks at Koyram, and then she looks back at Marjorie with kind of like a knowing glance and says, I believe you are at the top of the tree. Well, perfect. <laughs> I'm Marjorie. Hi, I just want to interject. Hi, please excuse my small little friend. My, my name is Fletch Stormtail. Yeah, you take care of this, Fletch. What, 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 she's really pretty, I think. Amara explained that restoring the beacon was vital to the safety of this world. If another beacon fell, their net of protective magic would be completely undone. Genevieve argued to mount a rescue attempt immediately, finding an ally in Juno and his bloodlust. Genevieve steps up and she says, Many of my team were taken captive by the force that assaulted our our beacon. We didn't believe, truth be told, we were a bit arrogant. We didn't believe we could fall that way, but we were attacked out of nowhere. And many of my team were taken and I, I escaped and I came here for help. And it's been days, almost a week. I've been waiting for help. And this is what, this is who shows up. I mean, you guys, you guys look like you're some kind of ragtag rough and tumble. Hey, we've been through a lot today. My best friend died. There's a mouse. Also, my daughter don't know where she is. Everybody's parents are dead. Didn't know that. Is Mar- has Marjorie been drinking? What's happening right oh, now? Oh, that's sad. What kind of force was it? And Genevieve locks eyes with Juno, and she says, orcs. Oh, Fuck. Great. Oh, guys, it's orcs. Oh, guys. I've sensed them for a while. I would relish the opportunity to... Eat the flesh of orcs. Wow. Oh, what? 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 Has that been Wait the plan all along, dude? Genevieve just like claps him on the back and is like, this yeah. guy. I like this guy. This guy's intense. I like it. Wait, who's hey, up back that? off. Genevieve. Hey. It appeared that Flack had a crush, too. Uh, Genevieve, I also oh can God. assure you that uh, <laughs> we, will, we will restore the beacon to its rightful place um, and uh, have celebratory milk. Afterward, it's true. Flag is much more manly than Juno is. You definitely go after Flack. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Marjorie. So, stop taking things away from me, life. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Koirim and Amara advocated doing research about the beacon to find some hidden advantage or discover why orcs would have targeted it. To compromise between quickly leaving and doing research, 
The team suggested they bring the needed books with them. We have to read. This is what I want. <laughs> this is I'm what not you being wanted. Sarcastic. Yes, I want to be like a detective. Hold on. You didn't want me to bury my cheese. <laughs> you didn't want us to pet the cow. You wanted to come to this tree read. Yes. <laughs> yep. God damn it, Sabus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What a fine. I want a good old fashioned mystery. I know we asked this. Sorry, I just want to clarify. Could we take books? Is that allowed? Yeah, I mean, you could. Inspiration again struck Zabbos. He reached down to the robe and flung off a patch that became a bag of holding. Wait, does this mean that we could put all the books in this bag? That was my thinking. In the bag. Is we just like a supermarket sweep the library (laughs) and just like dump books into the bag? Genevieve like elbows Corman. She's like, <laughs> like, who did you bring me? Genevieve reluctantly agreed to wait, and the group split off. Flack, Juno, and Genevieve to get armor and weapons. Zabas, Fletch, and Amara to scour the Order's great library, and Marjorie and Koirim to visit the tree's sacred grove. In the armory, Genevieve explained they grew plants poisonous to orcs. Juno, of course, loved the idea. Wingman. Yeah. Are you interested in Genevieve? Yeah. Are you uh, not? No, I've not given a thought to it. Not all? No. Not just saying that? No, not at all. All right. So this is why you were trying to claim some ridiculous story that you have experience with orcs. Hey, I understand hey, now. Hey, hey, hey. Okay. When she's around, I'm, I'm like... I'm like number one orc hater, all right? Okay, that's, you that's, that's no, that's, well, hey, that's, an, on, hey, I will, hey, I will wingman. What did I just say about being a wingman? I will wingman you only so far. <laughs> I will support you. Say, I will. Say, say we, say we are tied as like the equal orc hating most people in the West, in the, in the world. That is a tall order. And here, let's, you let's are not poison tall. these arrows while, all right. Let's poison these arrows <laughs> while we're, uh, while you think it over. Following Genevieve's suggestion, they dipped their arrowheads in the noxious plant. Upon doing so, they started to get dizzy and fell to the ground. Twas a mere prank, the armory's blacksmith would explain later. As they slipped out of consciousness, Juno and Flack watched as Genevieve transformed into an eagle and flew away. In the library, all Zabbos wanted was to uncover hidden knowledge. And instead, he was playing wingman to Fletch and Amara. Amara takes Zabbos over to like a different shelf and kind of like grabs your robes and like pulls you around the corner a little bit. I feel like I'm gonna get yelled at. <laughs> I don't want to get yelled at. So you're you're kind of like yeah. like shying away from it a little bit. Yeah, Zabbos can't handle any criticism <laughs> whatsoever. And Amara's like Amara's a high elf like you, so you're both really tall. You're like yeah. almost of a height. She's a little bit shorter than you, but she's older and and a little bit bigger. Like you're very slight, right? Yeah. Yeah. So she's she's like, and she's got like her like fancy robes and stuff on. Like she's very intimidating kind of presence. Mm-hmm. And she like leans really close to you, and she like looks you right in the eyes, and she's like, "So what's the deal with Fletch?" <laughs> oh shit! Like, Wait, like, what do you mean though? <laughs> like, no, I mean like, like what's like, up? What's like, the deal with Fletch? Like, what, or like, what's the deal with Fletch? Like, like I don't know. He's cool. Yeah, I feel like, like he's probably the person I hang out with. I get least annoyed by. <laughs> For me, that's like a ringing endorsement, I think. In a peaceful garden open to the sky, Marjorin watched as Koirim knelt by a reflecting pool, bowed, and opened his arms wide in ritual. 
Marjorie looks at him and sees Koyrim in a completely different light. Because <laughs> Marjorie was having a bad day. No one respected her wishes. Nobody nobody was on Marjorie's side today. Even the guy that she had a little bit of crush on fucking <laughs> left. But here she is in this little pond area with this little leaf in her hand that means so much more than he knows. And she very quietly... Well, just her, her eyes tear up a little bit, and she holds the leaf and she rubs it for a second. And, um, she doesn't pray about cheese; mm. she prays about her daughter. And what was it? You cast the and then you off. you yeah you like let it go into the water, yeah. and it like floats away and disappears. And she's just quiet. Marjorie was touched that Coyrum shared this moment with her and his admission that he felt truly scared for what was to come. In the armory, Flack and Juno were awoken by a blacksmith who showed them to some magical items. They picked up a cloak of feathers, an amulet, and a single glove that Flack wore upon his head. The team reunited, and Marjorie excitedly donned the feathered cloak, which allowed her to jump into the air and float a few feet. They all set out for the beacon. All was not quiet on the way to their destination. On the road, they found a ransacked caravan of liquor traders. Juno investigated and found one man, Bjorn, alive. At first, the, the man is like very skeptical of you offering him milk, but as he drinks, he's revitalized and some of his wounds close up. And even though he was near death, now he seems to be... <laughs> like at 20 HP? Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, like mostly okay. Oh man, what if this guy's a total asshole? <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a gamble, I know. He kind of reaches out to you as he's like drinking this. He stops after just like hungrily gulping this down. <laughs> He's just like, thank you. Thank you so much for, for this. Wow, what what was that? It, it was milk. It was, <laughs> it was very good milk. Now tell me, w- what happened? We were attacked. We're beverage traders from the north. We set out, I, my friends and I set out from the north on a, on a delivery to Night's Pass. We we're delivering a special order of elderflower liqueur. Wait. You are delivering elderflower liqueur. Yeah, it was a it was an order placed by uh, uh, George. I placed that order. I placed the order with George. He gets up and punches you. Take three damage. Fuck. And he's like, "It's your fault, then. It's your fault. We were here, and they attacked us. And it's your fault that that they're dead. We were here, and it's your fault that they attacked us." All right, you didn't have to fulfill the order. This is. Don't blame the guy who orders something. I was ordering it as a gift for a man that I insulted. Anyway, it's not an issue. This was supposed to be a nice thing. Moments later, the orcs returned. Separated from the team up the hill, Juno defended Bjorn and, for the first time, activated the powers of the Scythe of the Times to redo a swing. He killed orc after orc. Marjorie dashed about, slicing and dicing from orc to orc, while Flack protected the rest of the team by creating an impenetrable purple hut. These orcs dealt with, the team pressed on, but not before inspiring Bjorn to deliver the liqueur with a pep talk and a burst of wild magic from Zabas that gave the traitor the strength of a bull. He picks up the bodies of his friends and he throws them over his shoulders and walks back over to the cart and places them down, you know, gently and reverently, <laughs> and then picks up the yoke of the cart and just starts pulling oh my it. God. <laughs> <laughs> he just takes off 
and he takes about 10 leaping, pulling strides. And then he stops and he looks back and he says, I will deliver your booze. And then he just takes <laughs> off. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, no. How far does he have to go, though? A ways. Okay, because this only going to last an hour. I don't say anything. <laughs> There's a time limit. Oh, no. They continued on their way, resting for a night. And as the grass became rocks and trees became bushes, Juno sensed the orcs drawing near. While Juno, Fletch, and Coirim walked, the rest of the team was inside the bag doing research on the beacons. They learned about differently colored flower bulbs, activated by different stimuli, including emotions. They also read about the possible existence of a hidden beacon beyond the known seven. Zabus, reading Amara's journal, noted that she seemed to come to power in the Order after some mysterious cataclysm had reduced the ranks of their leadership. He read that their last leader had been named Navia. The team came into view of the location of the beacon, a tall spire of rock jutting straight from a lake far below them. The bridge to the spire had been cut, so they stealthily searched for another way in possibly through a nearby waterfall. As they moved, they gained the unwanted attention of the orcs in the spire. Large boulders thrown by a trebuchet came hurtling towards them. They escaped behind the waterfall, but not before Coirin was badly injured. Marjorie did not want to leave her friend behind, but they needed to complete the mission. Marjorie turns to Coirin and kneels down next to him because he's still in shock, right? Oh yeah, he's still freaking out. She pulls from her sack her campaign Mima t-shirt <laughs> and she hands it to him and says here, here we'll be back but while you're here hanging out with Pete I just I just wanted to give you something of mine to hold on to to know that I'm thinking about you he reaches over labor reaches over and and takes it and gratitude kind of Cuts through the fear and pain on his face. That's my favorite t-shirt, Koyram. You can't lose that. <laughs> I promise I'll, I'll hold on to it. And he like clutches it to his chest. Then he reaches up and he takes off his helm and he gives it to you, Marjorie. And he says, I know this probably won't fit, but there may be a time when it can help you see something that might not otherwise be there. This might be important. And I can't, I can't go with you. We'll be back. I need that t-shirt back, Koirim. It'll be right here. And he kind of half smiles Marjorie. and looks over to Pete. And he's like, Pete will, Pete will protect me. Does Mar- he know what campaign Mima is? Or is it just like a really weird story? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he has no idea. Steep cuts. Their plan was this. Find the eighth beacon, said to be a portal to another world, and cross dimensions. Then, go to the beacon in the rock spire on the other side, and cross back over to take the orcs by surprise. Flack asked to borrow Marjorie's cloak, and floated down into the passage. Later, when she wanted it back, Flack refused. The team journeyed through passages large and small, until they met a group of dwarf miners. They were extracting a shining stone from the wall that, when fired upon by their cannon, looked as if it were tearing an opening into another world. The team continued towards what they believed was a portal, and when they came to an impenetrable maze, Fletch made a hard choice. I would like a happy memory. She wants a happy memory. I'm dressed as a chicken. 
<laughs> I think if, if you were to play one of your bard bard songs, yeah, I think you I feel would like, and then and then I'll dance. Damn. Okay, okay. Oh I'll yeah, yeah, yeah. Here it. we'll give you a damn no, good guys, memory. It's so much more fucked up. Go on no, a date. No, guys, it's so much more fucked Just up. Just go on a date. Wait, Zavis, what's happening? She needs is in the book. Oh, <laughs> oh that's wait. right. Yeah. Oh. Oh no. Oh. Does she get to keep it? She. Yeah. It's not ours. Needs anymore. a memory of ours that we already have, and then she gets to keep. And we, we don't, don't get have it. any. I mean, some fucked up shits happened to me, but, but like, it has to be, it has happy. be a happy memory. Can't just give I her all your trauma back. and baggage. What if I give her the memory of meeting Amara? What? Oh, oh shit. That's a happy memory, and I haven't really felt love in like 200 years, so. And you're willing to just give that up? But you were so excited. Does anybody else have anything? No, I don't want to give out. You can do that. I mean, I, It's I, too I, existential I, for me. I, I do, pass. but I, I, I have so few. I don't want to give them up. I'm sorry. I mean, you're so willing to. Yeah, you to jumped on it. that, so. I'm just thinking that's like the only happy memory I have right now. Fletch, if you volunteered to do this. The one thing that we can say is that we know, because of what you told us about Amara, we could reintroduce you to her. We could create that spark again. She likes you. You you would like her again. Yeah, that's true. I mean, like, well, yeah, just do that, dude. Was a really I happy feel like memory. it's a pretty good loophole. Okay. Yeah, but you'll, ha- you'll have it again. I yeah. will say the guy who did this before, mm-hmm. like, made it through <laughs> without giving up a memory like he lived oh well okay. yeah but I mean, like if we but, put but our think hand about, you know what, let's re- let's look at this in a positive way you I'll can be quiet it's the chickens talking <laughs> <laughs> uh l- you know how great it was to meet her for the first time and yeah. feel that love you'll get to do that again dude you just have to remember it's like watching your favorite me. movie for the first time again okay we're kind of cheating the system here and i like it yeah you suddenly feel this rush of wind in your face and then you're in a void and you see across from you amara describe kind of what you fletch felt when you first saw her it was like waking up in in a brisk morning uh and feeling like walking outside into the trees and smelling the most freshest air you've ever smelled before never ever have i felt that kind of smell or feeling uh and because i haven't felt something like this in 200 years i was just like i was stunned and i just couldn't i the the, from the moment i saw her i couldn't stop thinking about her as you're describing this like a garden kind of grows around this image of amara uh but from the like platform of light that she's standing on and as you kind of describe the feelings that you have the Flowers kind of grow and bloom and create this kind of like canopy around her. But then the vines start to shrivel and die and the flowers wither away. And the platform of light that she's standing on starts to retreat away from you and fade into the void. As it does, you struggle to hang on to what that feeling was like and even what Amara looks like. By the time the image fades back into nothingness, you no longer have any recollection of Amara, the person, the concept, the feelings. You go back to having never had this love at first sight feeling in 200 years, and by the time you awaken to see the maze dryad standing before you, you don't know what happened. 
the only thing you know is that you made an exchange with the maze in order to get through it. Zabbos put his research to use in a puzzle room. And when certain red-colored bulbs needed to be lit through the presence of anger to continue, Flack made a big move. Margarine, you pissed at me still for being a chicken? <laughs> uh, you want this You want this chicken coat back? What are you trying to do, huh? Do you want this chicken coat what back? What are you trying I'm to do? I'm just asking, do you want it? Yeah. I can't have it. You son of a bitch. <laughs> Don't you do this to me. No, no, before we do that, fuck you. Before we do that, we gotta figure out a plan. You're not even worth this jacket. I thought we were a team. Oh, you know what? I was just saying all that shit. I never wanted to be on a team with you. This is really hurting Marjorie. She has anxiety about that because of her past experiences. That might be too much. Oh, is he triggering you? Is he triggering? Instead of generating anger, Flack's words generated insecurity and sadness. How how is Marjorie responding though? What emotions is Marjorie feeling at this taunting? Oh oh, very very hurt. Hurt how? Though? First, she's she is pissed. I wouldn't say that she's like raging. Okay, by any means, but she's definitely pissed at. I uh, ripped the jacket Flack. off of Flack. <laughs> And I throw it on the ground. I cast fireball at it. <laughs> oh! Oh! Okay, well, now, it's not a huge room. No. So. <laughs> I love that cloak. Fletch and Flax succeed. And Marjorie succeeds. Oh. Yeah, so oh. Zabbos just knocks out. Marjorie's fine. The rest of you take 15 damage. But all of the red vines on the door recede. Oh, what does the cloak look like? Cloak's fine. Oh, the relief. Oh, the joy. I, I grab it and no. put it back on. Oh, Marjorie goes and she grabs, she grabs the cloak and she's pulling it for you. Marjorie gets the cloak back. Oh, 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 she, who's the chicken now? Puts it around her. Are you guys Fucking... doing this over Zavis's body? Yes. I just on the ground, it like ricocheted off the walls and like just knocked Zavis me out. Fireballs. Yeah. I'm gonna stabilize Zavis. Nobody touch him! I'm sorry, I'm gonna do it. No, we need to. Uh-uh. Margarine stands over Zavis hey. and picks up the book. Hey, Margin, 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 Margin. No. Listen, listen, listen. Listen, do you see these beautiful red flowers, Margarine? You see these beautiful red flowers. No, no, She's no. Just flipping but do you the see book. that? Hey, we did that together as a team. You, you were really you mean. Got, you were yeah, so it was it was for the reason I did that was to get her mad to open up these flowers because I knew that the power of our Full friendship of would be able to resolve no, you this didn't. afterward. You, you told me that you cared. Marjorie, you gotta listen here. You told me that we were a team and you're telling me all of a sudden that that's not true. But now I'm saying but it I'll is I'll do this true. by myself. Marjorie silently walks in. They open the portal to the other world, but their final test to cross into it was a snarling, tentacled cat monster. Juno tried to speak with it. Hello there. We may have surprised you. You surprised us. Would you like to be friends? Would you like to die fast or slow? What? Ooh. That's its response to oh, you. Oh, no. But only Juno can hear that. Everybody else just hears, like, snarls. What'd he say? Uh, he, well, he, he uh, asked us if we would like to die fast or slow. Tell him slow. While the rest of the team fought the slimy death kitty... Zabbos concentrated on opening the portal, using a spell he had read in one of Amara's books. 
he experienced a series of visions. Amara and Galimathea pining for Fletch. A small island in the middle of a river where elves, humans, and halflings readied themselves for an attack. A similar group on a small hill fortified their ring fort walls as a dust cloud closed in. A dense and dark forest where animals and birds and higher beings were speaking and yelling in fear. An ornate and giant-seeming library where Zabbos, through distorted vision, felt a familiar presence when a gargantuan figure saw him and tried to communicate something. A high, windy mountain peak where Zabbos saw a waterfall, a lake, and a stone door, and he smelled something foul on the air. A garden where atop two pedestals were pale, unmoving girls. Zabbos's hand was not his own, as he watched an elegant woman's hand lovingly, yet sadly, adjust a curl on one of the girl's heads. Zabbos looked down and saw a gorgeous silver panther nuzzling the woman, and, in front of her, a man bringing flowers. He felt the woman's feelings. Dread. Nothing would help. The team dispatched the Displacer Beast, and Zabbos was back. The team crossed to the other side. They entered a space much like the one they had left, but in reverse. They observed the caverns on this side were filled with more flora and fauna than their world. Only all the animals and plants were of the extraordinary variety found in Galimathea. When they crossed into an area that had been a maze on the other side, they saw the sky was orange. Adding to the weirdness, they heard a voice coming from Fletch's pack. Uh, can I get a little help here? Depends. Who are you? There you are, and I'll tell you. Well, all right, but we have a, a bow drawn on you, so... Don't... I open the back. <laughs> the owlbear beak that Fletch had chopped off and kept, way back in episode one, floated out of his bag. The beak introduced itself as Jeremy, the spirit of Jeremy the Owlbear. You guys have done Wait. some weird shit, let me tell you. Wait, you've been able to watch us? In a manner of speaking. Okay. Jeremy. Jeremy, please. I painted a picture of, of Owlbear a very long time ago. And I get I go through my stuff and I get out my watercolor painting of the Owlbear that I definitely did because I have it written <laughs> down in my items. <laughs> and I show it to him. I'm very proud. Jeremy is very impressed. And the two of the feathers kind of make eyebrows. Uh-huh. Oh. So that you're able to kind of understand Jeremy's expression a little bit. And the eyebrow feathers kind of arch like, oh, yeah, like I, you managed to catch my likeness pretty well. You're, <laughs> yeah. you're not mad at us for killing you? I... Also, why did you attack us? Well, if you remember right, you had been hunting me for two weeks <laughs> through the forest. <laughs> like, I've been through a lot. I've, I feel like I've lost memories. So I'm... Just trying to remember everything here. It was really Juno who surprised me when when uh, he showed up out of nowhere and tried to also kill me. So when the lot of you uh, eventually did take me down, I was mostly just scared and confused. Oh, uh, that's yeah. sad. Well, you know. You seem pretty chill, though. Well, I've been dead for a while. They apologized for killing him and offered whatever they could do to make him comfortable. Marjorie even offering her feathered cloak, which she draped over Jeremy's invisible form. Marjorie was in no mood to talk with Zabbos and Flack after their blow-up, 
and when she befriended a large badger, she refused to let Flack on its back to ride with her. And hey, we'll kinda... I want to do something. Okay. I'm going to cast Charm Person on Marge. <gasps> Whoa. Oh, boy. Okay. 16. 16, I think, does it. Beats me. 16 beats you. Yeah. Was it clear that he tried to do this? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Flack, you son of a bitch! Hey, you're the one who's being a real dick no, to me. No! You, no, you're a dick. You're the one who's a dick. Flack, do you realize what you said to me back back at the portal? Do you realize that we needed to do that? To uh, enrage to those- To me? You're, you're the one closest to the threshold there, Marge. You didn't enrage me by telling me that you didn't want to be on a team with me. I you did enrage you, though. fucking heart. Hey, but it worked. It didn't and work. And then I tried to tell you after. It did work. We got through it. And then I, you, but Marge, the reason we we did that and the reason I, I felt comfortable doing that and thinking that it'd be okay afterward is because we're a team. You crossed a line. You realize that I have been teams with plenty of people up to this point. And every single time they've used me, they've betrayed me, they've thrown me under the bus for their own benefit, and it was not any different than what you did. But not we're still here. Different. For your benefit, too. You know what? No, you're a part of it, too. No. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you told me, but it is worked. that triggering Yeah, it you? worked. That's what I'm saying. It I was for you. the team, Marjorie. <laughs> that is true. I did ask. Flack, I <laughs> think I she just you. apologized to her. Just apologize. Say you're sorry. I'm sorry. But say it with meaning. You can't just say it. What? I'm sorry that I got us through that puzzle by in, by but, but opening the red blossoms. You can't say it like that. I think but, that you but her feelings are important. I wasn't angry when you told me that. I was sad when you told me that. I got angry when I thought that my cloak broke. Well, you know, we tried a scattershot approach. One of them worked. I'm so, I'm sorry that that. Just, uh, I'm sorry works. I feel like just I'm sorry works. I'm sorry that we attempted <laughs> one thing that didn't enrage you as opposed to just lighting the cloak on fire. Flag, I think you. that you're full of shit because the first opportunity that you had to say anything, you didn't. And then you tried to charm me. I did apologize immediately afterward. You're you wouldn't listen to me, Marge. Let's just go. Oh, oh, it's, sorry. We could just go back and like try a different way to open the red flowers. That's fine. Can't just go back. I'm just saying, if we had to cut off one of our arms to get the portal to open, would we just do it and be like, it's sorry, it worked? Yeah. Well, but you'd now I understand. My flag. <laughs> I, big picture. It's always my arm that gets cut. Let's just go. What do you do after you say that? Lumber away on my badger. Okay. Guess I'll just walk. The group split. Over time, the distance between Juno and Marjorie and Fletch, Zabbis and Flack grew wider. Then, the three at the back heard Marjorie's voice. Hey, guys, I found something over here. Oh. What? What is it, Marge? It's a shortcut, or at least I think it is. Are you still pissy at us, or can we come to the shortcut? I'm not totally okay, but we have to work together to save Koirum. Yeah. You're right. Cool. Let's go this shortcut. <laughs> you kind of turn away a little bit and you go down kind of like a thicket, like a part of the forest is more overgrown. There's like bushes and shrubs and stuff. And you find this little path that you work your way through. After walking for about five minutes, you realize that you can't see a big badger or margarine or Juno uh, anywhere you're kind of on this path and you're starting to get a little bit confused about where this is hello over here okay, I okay. Follow it. yeah 
As you're walking, Fletch, you're in the back. You mm-hmm. kind of get the sense that the shrubs behind you are starting to close in. And when you look behind you, indeed, there's no more path behind you. There's only a path forward. It's totally overgrown. Flack, I've been thinking about things, and, and I think I'm ready to, to accept your apology. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. I just want to be a team again, you know? And that's what I want, too. You guys, I, this is going to sound a little alarming, but there's no way back right now. Look, look. Oh. I think we're being tricked or Sabbath, something. I put you in a weird gray zone also, and I want you to know that that's not what I meant to do. I yeah, really do want to be... That's not Marjorie. No. That's not Marjorie. Suddenly they heard cackles, and they were surrounded by three witches. They fought. Flack made one witch vomit and laugh uncontrollably. But all was not fun and games when all but Sabbath were knocked unconscious. A hefty cyclops had shown up, and he dragged them all back to his lair. Juno and Marjorie looked back and didn't see their companions. They figured they would catch up. Leaving the woods, they saw a flying machine coming towards them. And dismounting from it is a like a six-five broad-shouldered knight, and it has wings because this is clearly a dragonborn. And he holds out a gauntleted hand and he says, "Hold it right there!" Wowie zowie. Marjorie puts her hands up in the air. (laughs) (laughs) The knight approaches you and says, I am number 72. Do not be alarmed. I am here to hold you for interrogation by the undercounselor. Do you come willingly? How long is this going to take? Just then, a lithe, red-haired, elegantly tall elf breezed in on a binocorn. This was Undercounselor Yanathan. He thanked them for finally arriving with the heir of Erthadar, Lady Cathiria's ruling family. He led them to the city where only high elves and dragonborn knights were seen roaming the streets. They weren't sure what they were getting themselves into yet, but Juno and Marjorie played along. Marjorie grabs Juno's hand and squeezes it three times. Okay. And looks at Juno and winks. Juno maintains his alarmed expression (laughs) at the garden party reception marjorie correctly assumed they wanted to sacrifice juno but this was a case of mistaken identity just when they were about to come clean yanathan outed them oh i think your little charade is over you vile creature and then he pulls the flower out of his lapel and it magically the stem of the rosish flower that it is extends into this thin, long, sharp blade, and the flower itself forms this like ornate basket hilt around his hand, and he flashes into like an on guard position. With a quick flick of his sword and sharp bobs of his tongue, Yanathan was making short work of them. Just as Juno was going to speak to the small dogs wandering throughout the garden, let's be honest, they looked a lot like corgis. Yanathan froze him. With tears in her eyes, Marjorie surrendered. Fletch, Flack, and Zabbos escaped from the Cyclops' makeshift jail and found themselves in a once well-appointed house in the woods, now fallen into disrepair. They explored, Zabbos accidentally unleashing a well in the house's basement that seemed to flow infinitely. They also discovered connections to their world, as in a photo of a few familiar faces, including Nils in his younger years. They read the journal of the wizard who had lived there, who documented the attacks of the elves nearby. Zabbos solved a puzzle by wearing a servant's robe and climbed up to the top floor, whose roof had collapsed, leaving it open to the sky. 
That'll get you above the walls. Let me see it. All right. Flack levitates up, and as you move above the walls, you see the back of the massive Cyclops creature, and you see a uh, big fire with a spit on it. Oh, no. And you recognize the forms of the witches that with one hand, the Cyclops is slowly turning on a spit, and it does not smell good. Savas attempted to placate him by performing the actions of a servant, serving food and drink. This didn't last long. Juno became unfrozen in his cell with Marjorin. They failed to convince their dragonborn guard to free them. But then came the corgis. The pixies on their backs made themselves visible. They implored Juno and Marjorin for the sake of both worlds to get back to theirs and bring the message that the elves were abusing their power. In fact, they did not need to sacrifice humans. Two pixies would go with them and lead them to the beacon on this side. They led them out to the hangar of flying machines, and Juno and Marjorin stole one. Whoa, whoa, Juno, go, go! <laughs> I'm pedaling. Is that oh, what I'm supposed to do? There's no pedals. Oh, okay. No. Well, I assume tricycle. Uh, there's, like, there's levers. <laughs> I thought this he was He said like... it was like a tricycle. <laughs> I did yeah. say it was like a tricycle, yeah. It's shaped kind of like it. There's oh, okay. two wheels in the back, one wheel in the front. Oh there's God, levers. That's some, like, around the world. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I've been picturing like, this whole time. Like, one of those things. <laughs> All right, so I jumped onto Juno's back. The machine starts to move forward. You pull the lever on the left, and it turns to the left, and you're heading towards uh, basically a cliff. Has it lifted yet, or is it just moving? It hasn't yet lifted. Are are the um, wings out? Are there wings out? out? Yep. Some crossbow bolts sail behind you. Suddenly, you hear a loud noise behind you, and there is a bolt of lightning that sails just past your head. Okay. And you fall off the cliff. Ah! (laughs) Mary, Perry. Any advice right now? Uh, we have wings. We know how to fly. This All one's right. kind of on you guys. Okay, fuck you. So there are a bunch of levers. So I'm going to grab the outer levers and like move them, see what happens. When you pull them back, the flaps move on the wings, and you right yourself and lift up. Woo! Honestly, Juno, I wasn't afraid of heights before, but after this... Marge, when, when you look behind you, you can see that the other flying machines are taking off oh, cool. as well in pursuit. I had the thought afterwards that maybe we should have sabotaged the other ones, but uh, didn't. Marjorie tied a rope to herself and swung out to pelt their pursuers with projectiles. As they flew over the forest, Juno spotted something curious. Lightning being shot up from the ground. Fletch and Flack attacked and they were surprised to see a dead bird and some ball bearings rain into the top floor of the house. They subdued the cyclops and electrocuted it in the rising water. Juno took the flying machine in a wide arc, attempting to circle back to the clearing from which the lightning had come. But he passed out unconscious at the controls. Marjorin gave him the healing elixir of the great heifer, and he was revived. They took out the last remaining dragonborn and landed. Guys, fairies, we killed the Cyclops. (laughs) What is that thing? Mary, Perry, do you hear someone? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We still in the doghouse. Did you not hear the part where we said we killed a fucking Cyclops? Where have you guys been? Oh, my God. It's been forever, Stormy. How are you? Oh, we're, you know, recovering. We? From killing a Cyclops. Who's we? Some of us. I start poking Marjorie's head. Oh. Marjorie does like, not look. Just like poking her head to let her know that I'm definitely here. And that <laughs> she you can't won't look. Me. I'm just keep poking. 
I just keep. You guys are like a married couple. Who? I'm single forever. What marriage would that be? God. Look, we just found this crazy weird house with this crazy weird. I guarantee you that Cyclops. anything that you found is not nearly as close to the crazy that we found. Where'd you guys? Where'd you, where have you guys been? We went to a city where they wanted to sacrifice me, and it turns out that the stuff going bad in our realm is because the elves are sh- shitty over here and want to kill humans. Them wanting to kill you does not surprise me. No, not me. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to kill an heir to the Earthadar. What? Earthadar. We've we've got to get to the beacon. We've got this plane. A what? We could. The beacon, Hold on. The whole Let's thing. take a break. The plane. We're all looking a little rougher for wear right now, so I think maybe we should camp out and oh, share stories sleep, huh? about yeah. what's going on. Things were still not better between Marjorie and Flack, but they all rested and flew to the beacon where the Pixies had identified a set of standing stones as the portal. On the way, Fletch ordered Marjorie and Flack to get into the bag and hash things out. It smells nasty in here, don't it? Silent and smelly. It's probably those witches that we put in this bag. They really stunk. Okay, fine, fine. We'll talk. Fine, that's what you want. So let's just let's just have it out. Why are you so mad, Marjorie? You know that I had to do it. I'm so mad because every turn of my life, I've been betrayed by the people that I love, and I keep coming back because I keep believing that there's something good to find. In in who I think are my friends. And I thought that I found that with you guys. I thought that I found that with you. You did. And then you hurt me. You told me that we were never a team. That everything that I believed up to that point was wrong. That was acting. You're a very good actor. I know. That's what I do, Marjorie. I sing and I act. And I'm an I entertainer. Do, I I'm- trust and I get betrayed. So I need out of your mouth. A real apology. I just don't feel like I can apologize for a thing that we needed to do. Do you under do you understand my point of view, how we needed to 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 light that thing? The rage thing? That we needed to get rage? Flack didn't want to apologize for what had hurt Marjorie, but they reached some kind of understanding. The reason I did it with you was because I just like I see in you that wisdom and that, oh, that don't you charlatan bullshit. And so I just figured no, that you saw an in. You saw something immediate. I just felt like you were the strongest person who could who could recover from that. You know? It's kind of like a compliment to you that I chose you. It's uh, really cherry on top of that compliment that you tried to charm me. Well, that's, sorry for that. I I really wanted to ride a badger. I will just straight up apologize for that one. I'm sorry for trying to charm you. Thank you. They had a bit of a hard landing at the Standing Stones, but they were there. They activated the portal and one by one stepped in, feeling its curious effects. Juno was the last to go and said goodbye to Jeremy, and he teased Yanathan, who was nearly upon him, before jumping in. They were not taken directly back to the other side. You're in this huge black room. There's a faint light on the opposite side of it. And as you kind of walk towards it, you realize that you're looking at a giant wall of ice. You can kind of see through. It's not like the wall in Game of Thrones. It's not like this huge, massive, thick barrier. It's like a. It's like the wall of ice from X-Men 2. Yeah. In the Xavier <laughs> school. Yeah, it's, it's more like a rival. 
Okay, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. So there's this barrier in front of you, and when you touch it, you realize that it's ice. As you get close to it, you see two huge figures move from the shadows deep within the opposite side of the ice wall towards you. Zabbis, did any of your learning tell you that this is what was going to happen? No. When they get closer, you recognize that they're kind of feminine shapes. Uh, One is silver and gray and white, and the other is like emerald, moss, and like a foresty green. And the two women tower over all of you. They're easy 10, 12 feet tall. You can't make out any kind of distinct features or anything yet because there's a light that's coming from their, their faces. There's this glow that kind of obscures what they look like. And the silver lady turns to Zabbis. And you're kind of enveloped in this silvery glow. And you're flooded now with memories of like every friend you've ever known. You see faces of people you love. You have flashes of these memories of when you first met these people. You're seeing basically like introductions to all of your favorite people in your life. Juno, the Emerald Lady, turns to you. And you see images of people meeting as well, but what you see are, like, agreements from your past. You see, like, making, like, trade deals and, like, peace made over arguments and enemies surrendering and then sharing drinks. You see, like, beneficial business arrangements and handshakes and hugs from your former life as a soldier and a farmer. The light on the faces of the women fade. And you can just kind of make out through the ice their vague features, but they're unmistakably, like, open and warm. Their smiles... And their their eyes, as far as you can tell, aren't trying to betray anything. To Flack, they gave feelings of discontent. As the team was trying to understand this and other visions, Yanathan broke into whatever dimensional pocket they had entered, and the women they had nicknamed the Moms pounded on the ice, sending the team hurtling to their own dimension. They came out of the portal on the other side, somehow wet and goopy. They had materialized at their standing stones in the middle of a group of orcs. They were drenched in orc viscera. Guys, who cut the cheese, am I right? Because it smells bad. But no, that's orcs. It's, it's foul, but it's also wonderful. You are so full of one-liners. Well, and I feel so disgusting. <laughs> I feel disgusting. I feel disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> you look kind of disgusting. Look disgusting. You've I, never looked I, better than coated an orc. I feel disgusting too. I want to fit in. <laughs> Juno's orc senses were going buck wild, and his bloodlust was revving up. He went with Fletch down a level to scout the orc patrols. Strangely, they heard the commanding voice of a human man echoing from the base of the tower. The team snuck to the area where the siege weapons were firing borders at the waterfall, and they massacred the orcs, while noting something near the waterfall was now firing back. Marjorie located a magic bucket and tried to wash off the orc blood. As they made their way silently offing orcs, Juno, who could speak orcish, had a revelation. There are three of them, and they're just shooting the shit. Be more specific. What, what are they talking about? I mean, about? They're, they're just like... Oh, you know, uh, can you believe this detail? Like, we've been out here a while. Like, I'm getting bored. Like, you know, they, we're running out of people to see if they can open this thing. Like, I don't even know what we're after. But, like, uh, I guess the pay is good. Like, like that kind of shit. Shuno, like, has an epiphany as this is happening because, like, that's exceedingly normal. And he's just used to <laughs> the slaughtering orcs coming to kill him <laughs> and the people he loves. What's the plan, Juno? What's the plan? What'd you hear? Juno. There are three guys. No, no. Uh, there are three orcs, evil orcs, and they are trying to open something down there. 
Did they sound really nefarious and evil? Did they just do grunts? Like nasty boy grunts? Uh, they were, they, I mean, when I first heard their language, it sounded like grunts to me, but I've learned it over time, and uh, it, no, they're just talking. Were they talking about real evil, bloodthirsty stuff? Were they saying bad things I, about your mother? Were they talking about who they killed and how many kills they've amassed over the years? These are all things that I would think they would be talking about, yes, but yeah. they weren't. They were just talking about, you know, being bored. Oh, that bored sounds works? Really? really relatable. It does, right? It's so weird. That's I've been really bored weird. before. Yeah, I have too. You ever been bored, you know? I have been bored, just like does those this, orcs. Does this present a conflict for you? I, I feel like something's happening here that I don't understand, but yes, it does. Yeah. Soon after, the team could hear a voice in the walls. They followed it. And from a secret passage there appeared a young man named Malik. He was a craftsman in the order, and the last holdout who had not yet been captured by the Orc Force, not counting Genevieve, whose reckless rescue attempt had failed. She lay injured, and when Malik tended to her, it was apparent even to Flack there was an attraction. The Orcs were attempting to activate the beacon for some dark purpose. There's this man who's controlling the orcs, he's trying to get one of us to open the door to the beacon, which is within the like big stone tree. You guys probably saw it. It's mm. pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, when the beacon's activated, it sends this magical energy all throughout the stones. And then the stones up top kind of act as like an antenna. Everybody's been refusing to, to give access. And, uh, and everyone now who knows how to open it up is either dead or down here in this room. And the only people kind of left in the cage upstairs are uh, are just support staff and they don't even know anything and they're being tortured to try to get this open it's it's awful we gotta rescue him but i couldn't do it on my own and and genevieve has been too hurt but now that you guys are here uh, i think we got a shot this new resistance formulated a plan to storm the orcs malik outfitted the team with new equipment of his design and they took the fight to the orcs they peeked out into the main area to see many many orcs the captured civilians, and a man barking orders. They couldn't believe it. It was the Mam Breverisk, Mr. Breakfast himself, somehow reconstituted from a swarm of bats that he had last been. That bastard. Oh. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't sound like it, but... <laughs> I love it. He questioned a young woman named Sarah who refused to activate the beacon. Juno vowed to save her. They planned to take out the orc shamans, whose magic could pose the biggest threat, then rescue the hostages. Their stealth plan failed, but they went in hard. They cut down orcs like tissue paper, but Juno could not reach Sarah, and soon the odds were even less in their favor when Zamam enchanted Genevieve to fight against them. Malik bravely threw himself into harm's way more than once, and after Juno was unable to heal him, Malik rushed anyway to try to fight and save the charmed Genevieve. He died. Using Koirum's magic helmet, Madrin had been able to see the magic coursing through this tower. She found a catch in the wall and entered the grove that Samam and his horde had tried to open. Madrin approached the beacon itself. She remembered something and knelt and spread her arms wide as she had watched Koirum do. Her heart was open, and the beacon activated. Enough of this! And a bunch of orcs come from elsewhere, having what? heard the commotion. Calm the fuck it. 
He says, enough, you're surrounded. Drop your weapons and surrender. And then, before you can respond, another voice from high above says, that's funny. I was just going to say the same thing. Oh, Oh, dang. And you look up, and at one of the balconies, about uh, (gasps) 60 feet up from you, you see a red-headed high elf Oh no! With two dragonborn knight guards, there is Yanathan with his terrifyingly gorgeous features <laughs> and his oh. perfect uniform. And he says, "I don't know who or what you think you are." He's talking to Zemem, New Zemem, Mysterious Zemem. But these wretched creatures have to answer for their crimes. And Mysterious Zemem looks back up and says, listen, fancy man, I don't know how you got in here, but you're messing with forces you can't begin to understand. And he says, oh, I can understand just fine. And he draws the blue flower from his jacket, conjures his rapier, and casts a spell at at Noobzemem, freezing him just as he froze Juno back in the elven city. And the dragonborn knights leap down from the balcony, spreading their leathery white wings to slow their descent. And Yanathan turns his attention to the great hall where the orcs, now leaderless, stand dumbfounded. And he says, ugh, I don't have time for this. Yanathan and his dragonborn knights laid waste to the orcs, but the enemy of their enemy was not exactly a friend. Before Yanathan can act. What? You look above you, and you see two forms floating down from above, one of which says, get away from my friends! And then there's a blast of a (gasps) moonbeam. Moonbeam? A silvery beam of pale light shines down five feet wide and 40 foot high cylinder centered on Genevieve and Yanathan erupts from above. Then, landing on the ground in front of you, are Koirim, <gasps> Pete, <gasps> and a wizard oh, Dad. who turns around and throws up. Oh, oh the drunk I also want to point out, Flack is the only one who can see this. When they arrived, Zabas and Marjorie were in the walls, Fletch was unconscious, Juno was flailing in a cloud of slithering, whispering tongues, and Flack was valiantly fighting. And then Kif looks at Yanathan, who looks like really in pain from this moonbeam, and he says, "Uh, you shouldn't be here. And then he casts Banishment, and the target creature returns to his native plane of existence in a pop. Yeah. Bye, bitch. And then you hear Yanathan scream as he pops away, I'll get you for this. The battle for the beacon was won, but there had been losses. Genevieve returned to herself to see Malik dead. Kif explained he had seen Zabas in his library and knew his friends needed help. Marjorie exited the grove and was overjoyed to see Koirim. She has no I don't, she has no words. She holds Koirim's helmet out to him and she's like, We did it. It looks like you did it, Marjorin. And he takes his helmet and he like kinda puts it back on your head and it like flops around because it's too big. There's also two other hats. Yeah, there's also <laughs> oh two other hats. <laughs> and she takes it off. She looks up at him with just so much happiness in her little squinchy gross. Blood-coated face. <laughs> yeah, everybody is just covered in blood <laughs> of all kinds of different kinds. She's like, you're okay. Yeah, I was, uh, I was in pretty bad shape until Kif came and managed to, to magic me back to health. Oh, hey, guys, wait. Uh, 
Zemam. Is he unfrozen? Oh yeah, we got a, we got oh, a frozen yeah. caveman here. He but, started to thaw. Okay, we need to deal with this, guys. Yeah, let's I'm about to Scooby do this shit right okay. here. Oh what? Uh, Dethaw just his head. Um, <laughs> yes. So we can talk to him. So we can talk to him, but I don't think Zemam Breverisk is who he says he is. Okay. So in my robe, I have a dispel magic spell scroll, and I'm gonna use it on him. Uh, you cast dispel magic on the person. Uh huh. And what happens is within the ice, his body just turns to bats. Oh, oh. fuck. And now there are a bunch <laughs> of frozen bats. bats. Fuck, okay. Well, fuck. <laughs> and one of them kind of thaws and like flaps no! and breaks out and escapes and like flies away. Is this what Scooby-Doo no, is? No, that's no, that's no. It's like, <laughs> that's usually the opposite way. They had gotten not the best outcome, but it was good enough. They would soon be on their way back to Galimathea and nights pass. Uh, hey, Genevieve, you want to protect this beacon? With my life. Done. Solved. Oh, good to know that you're over her. Koyram Quir- says- You know what? It got too heavy for me. Koyram <laughs> <laughs> says, I'll stay here with Genevieve. I'm, I'm, and he, he like puts a hand on, on your tiny shoulder, Marjorie, and he's like, I'm, I'm not afraid anymore. Marjorie smiles. And Kif is like, well, I'll, I'll come with you guys back to the city. I have a pretty good thing going at the Wizard Academy there. Oh yeah, you're the party, dude. You're coming with us. Pretty long walk though. Is there? Is there? Yeah, I just we have bone dice. Oh god. Flack rolled the bone dice. This recap was written, edited, and produced by Joel Arnold. Narration performed by Aaron Astin. D&D&D is executive produced, written, and edited by me, James Gressel. Co-produced and additional mixing by Joel Arnold. Our original music is by Jeremy Nisato. Hear more of Jeremy's music at jeremynisato.com. D&D&D is performed by James A. Janice, Chelsea Rebecca, Beth Radloff, Mike Saigan, and Joel Arnold. Next time on D&D&D. Your wave gets the attention of one of the shadow lizards, and it kind of like drops down and starts crawling towards you. Nope, nope. <laughs> it has, Marjorie walks behind uh, everybody else. It has kind of like dark, purpley, glowy eyes inside of its shadowy body. Is that a small beast? It's medium sized. It's, de- it's, oh. it's a decent size. It's like the size of a, of a large dog. It starts walking towards you, Juno, and it kind of cocks its head to one side, and it flicks its tongue out at you like a chameleon does. A dirty 20 against your AC to hit. Yeah, that'll hit. And you feel this shadowy tongue stick in your chest. Uh And you feel it kind of stick there for a second. Okay. And it kind of gloops out Mm -hmm. something from you. What? Oh, shit. (laughs) And then the tongue retreats back into the shadow lizard, and the shadow lizard becomes... No. ...the shape of a shadowy orc. Oh, Everybody roll for initiative. Oh. Oh, oh, and they ate a bunch of dinners, too. There was pizza, stew, macaroni and cheese, appetizers, curry, cupcakes. That's not really dinner, is it? Meat hand pies, vegetable korma, tacos, risotto. Love a good risotto. A big frittata, vegetarian shepherd's pie, salmon, shawarma.